The following program is intended for mature audiences. People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. Look, I love Gary. He's fantastic. And you're listening to the Martian Revelation. Strap in tight. Go to www.thefacesofmars.com. That's www.thefacesofmars.com. According to a new report in the New York Times, the U.S. government may have physical evidence of, and we're quoting, off-world vehicles not made on this Earth. Surely the days of the great Martian Revelation are upon us.
indeed, in my head. Contortion, all I see is red. How fitting. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you ETs out there in the bite waves of the Internet, and wherever you're at down through time monitoring this show. I'm Gary Legere, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian, and I would like to welcome you all to the Martian Revelation, as upon you all again now. Welcome to the Bazaar. And today is September 5th of 2020, or the 6th, depending upon your time zone, as this airs through time. And you're listening to this broadcast through Global Enlightenment Radio Network Stream, and also through the Martian Revelation Show YouTube Stream live at www.thefacesofmars.com. That's www.thefacesofmars.com. That's right, which everyone knows your defense for the war which we all fight against the evil dark mission is. We're all leading you away from the light and the truth and manipulating you all instead to help you open your wallets and your pocketbooks to only join their dark side in special clubs and special subscriptions that only allows them more power to continue to mislead you all and to steal you all away from the truth that they themselves not wish to face or even admit to. Hell, let alone even talk about www.thefacesofmars.com www.thefacesofmars.com But the Martian Revelation is, however, 100% listener-supported with no special clubs or special subscriptions to join. So if you are a listener, please help support the Martian Revelation show again, which is your only defense for that war which we all fight against the evil dark mission is. <laughs> and we're working with the goal each week to bring you the truth one show at a time. So please share the facesofmars.com link. And I must also ask you all, though, that you please donate to the show with anything that you can afford by clicking on the big red, white, and blue American button at the top of the show page to allow it to continue being here for you down through time. As it is because of you, the listener, of which makes the Martian Revelation possible to even be brought to you all back through time. So your listenership and your donation support actually counts, and it helps us all to not only fight, but to win against those evil dark missioners, <laughs> as well as to secure a future which we all could literally make the Martian revelation our reality. By what? By making our fate. And you, but you know how else you can help make our fate? Is by advertising or sponsoring this show. You could advertise your business, your products, your books, whatever it is that you would like to advertise. Or even if you have a message that you would like to have advertised on this show, heard all around the world, and kept in the archives as well, where it will always be heard. And those archives are hit constantly. But no special clubs or special subscriptions. So if you'd like to advertise on this show, sponsor it. You especially need to jot this down, MarsRevealer at gmail.com. MarsRevealer at gmail.com. That's my email. And using that email address of MarsRevealer at gmail.com, you can send me messages, questions, music, or artwork, or guest requests, or even if you wish to request to be a guest, or anything else that you would like to speak to me about. Especially if it has to do with any old yet new image data showing other faces of Mars taken by the Viking orbiters from 1976-82. That was seen in a video that's also seen on the facesofmars.com page called UFO Diaries, Cydonia, Discover the Earth-Mars Connection. It's only a 22-minute long video, and you'd be very surprised to see there's more than two-thirds of it 
one Richard C. Hoagland, who was also the same person who encouraged me years ago to investigate into these images and into that video. And the dude is serious legwork, because I'm just too swamped at present. That was his exact words. Now, down through time, we're more acclimated. We understand what that means. What's Trump trying to drain now in the Patriots? The swamp. The dark side, the bad guys, the controllers, the ones that want to keep us down on the farm. So Hoagland was telling us in code back then, he was too swamped at present. He's part of the swamp, which does not want the secrets out. Again, and upon my follow-up investigations and that, getting to the producers. The fascination of the faces on Mars for me and, and, uh, and my fascination with Richard Hoagland, who's been the, the big mover and shaker in all of that. The investigation led back to him, and then all of a sudden he wanted it stopped to derail it. Not just derail it, but try to derail me, to destroy my life. And this show, to prevent you all from seeing and knowing about the truth, or even just asking questions. No matter what still the truth is, questions need to be asked and answered to get to the truth. Not what you think you know, or what you think you want to know, or what you think the answers are, or to steer people in a certain way to think the way that you do while asking for special clubs and special subscriptions, and not allowing what the people would really want to ask basic questions to get the truth of. Well, I'm suspicious. Uh, we got them from Hoagland, we got them from NASA, and there you are. I mean, one of them's going to say, yeah, those are ours. Which are our pictures. It led back to him. The great mystery at this point seems to be if the Enterprise mission and its colleagues can find all this and so much more. And why can't NASA? Or is there something more? Is it possible that they have seen what we have seen? and also understand what's really there, but have a reason to keep silent. He says to stop further investigation into mysterious pictures. Mr. Hoagland says they are evidence of intelligent life. You, you, you need to get more down in the weeds and look at some of the weird stuff going on behind the scenes around us. Those faces of Mars that are seen in that video are not seen in any NASA public archive, especially for Viking, as it literally took me a year and a half to process the Viking Orbiter archives, and they're not in them. But the thing is, long story short, the producers, Charles E. Sellier of Once Grizzly Adams Productions, God rest his soul, and the Lee Eric Shackelford had stated that Richard Hoagland provided those images. I mean, Mr. Sellier in an email wrote to me, too. These files came from Richard Hoagland. Why would he be needing them from us? Especially after all this time, I add. Since that video was made, it was released in 93. That means Hoagland provided them with those images before 93, at least. You know, a lot of people will think that your conspiracy theories make you stark raving mad. Well, I'm suspicious. So check out that video and check out the faces images that are in that video that I'm on the hunt for. So if you're someone who works on the inside that knows about these images or has access or knows the information that could guide us to where they are, <laughs> you can remain anonymous. Your anonymity will be respected and upheld, and we all respect you and commend your nuts for doing so in advance. I could be and will be your public sector. You could remain all of our private sector.
or even if you have any other knowledge of any other, even modern space imagery that shows very implicating things that we the people have a right to see and to know about and that we should know about, about what's really not just on Mars but anywhere in space. Even if you're for an international space agency who hears this show, which I know they do, especially in Russia and Europe, the commie Chinese, I don't want none of you. But I encourage the rest of you all also to email me at marsrevealer at gmail.com. Again, that's marsrevealer at gmail.com. So now let's get back to the nitty-gritty of the matter at hand. As we got a cool show for you all tonight with return guest Robert Morningstar. And we're not going to be going to Mars, but we're going to be getting closer to the moon. As there's some things he wants to say and show about. So that should be interesting. And it should definitely make you all open your minds and wonder and wander and imaginate. Because that's what it's going to take to make our fate. But until then, there's some news to get into. Because again, contortion in my head. Contortion, I am seeing red. In more ways than one again. Especially as we know now, officially, many are waking up to the fact that we're in a space race. There is a literal race going on now. Flotilla of craft going to Mars to reach Mars in February and whatnot, who will land first? United Arab Emirates, the Hope Probe, the Mars Perseverance Forever, as well as the Kami Chinese Mars Mission, Orbiter Lander. Again, I hope it blows up, but again, I will put out the encouragement just as a poke in the chest, which I'm sure they know, if they land at Cydonia, Let's say right smack dab on the face of Cydonia. Wouldn't that be a big middle finger, an achievement of accomplishment for a nation to pull off? I mean, uh, you know, it's not like I'm trying to twist your arm there. But that's the only way I, I would give him a slight of credit. Other than that, I hope it blows up. It's not for the betterment of us all, that's for sure. But anyway, as it stands, China is poised as a major player and a major runner in this race. And it's not just about prestige. Or national glory. It's about needing to secure the high ground of space. Low Earth orbit. Cislunar orbit. The lunar surface itself. As well as Mars. And onward. And outward. So, you know, I am seeing red. And I'm having contortions in my mind. Because China just launched a reusable experimental spacecraft into orbit. By Elizabeth Howell. This was done yesterday. China launched an experimental reusable spacecraft into orbit on Friday, September 4th, with few details about what the spacecraft will do. Of course, the race is on, and it's not, again, it's not just a race of flags and flowers. Wake up, but that's the need for the Space Force. They knew what was coming, but a report from Chinese state media, Xinhua, said the launch was successful and that the Long March 2F rocket sent the spacecraft into orbit from the Jinqing Satellite Launch Center in the Gobi Desert. I'm sure I'm saying that name wrong and I don't give a crap. But it provided no information about exact launch time or what technologies the spacecraft will test. Of course, and I'm sure the Space Force will be watching closely because I'm sure they're also curious what technologies that spacecraft will test. <laughs> but after a period of in-orbit operation, the spacecraft will return to the scheduled landing site in China and will test reusable technologies during its flight, providing technological support for the peaceful use of space. Yeah, right. Xinhua said in the report, Again, who you bullshitting? 
Space News noted a few months of low-key work related to the launch and that it might be the same reusable space plane project that China said back in 2017 that it wanted to launch in 2020. Air Sports Closure Notices released Thursday provided the first indication of an imminent launch, Space News wrote. No images of the spacecraft nor the launch have so far been released. Well, are you surprised? But an apparent higher-than-usual level of security surrounding the mission also prevented bystander images appearing on social media. Again, are you surprised? And if so, why? Wake up. But in earlier reports, China said it planned reusable Earth-to-orbit space vehicles that would take off and land like an airplane horizontally. Yes, and that's a perfect idea that we should have established long ago and had in essence in force. They're probably based on plans that they've gotten from those selling our secrets and our technology and allowing them to be stolen and infiltrated to be taken from us to apply them to where we have not. Okay, but that's my take on it. I'm crazy. But officials from the China Aerospace Science and Industry Corporation added in 2017 that they had finished several ground tests for engines and other components. The possible Chinese space plane project comes as the United States Air Force is working on its own reusable space plane called the X-37B. Well, again, they got to be more advanced and, you know, come on, we should be way beyond where we're at now, in my opinion. But uh, that's good. The Air Force project has flown four times in space so far, bringing secret payloads into space months at a time. Other winged vehicles have made it into orbit before these projects. NASA's now retired space shuttle program flew 135 missions with astronauts on board between 1981 and 2011. Again, only in low Earth orbit. Nothing really to brag about over a span of time to where we had the ability and means to acquire a much higher standard to what John F. Kennedy had initiated where I believe it was failed and dropped after that and now with President Trump what he initiated of what needs to be that can be picked up again but a similar Soviet Union vehicle called Braun flew a single uncrewed mission in 1988 before the program was cancelled in 1993 shortly after the Soviet Union collapsed that's interesting, and I'm sure there's many hidden stories behind that. But private companies are working on space planes, too. Virgin Galactic Suborbital Spaceship 2 has flown into space during test missions, at least by the definition of the U.S. military. <laughs> but Virgin Galactic plans to fly customers and cargo aboard Spaceship 2 in the coming years. Also, Sierra Nevada Corp. plans to fly NASA cargo to the International Space Station, as well as cargo and astronauts for other customers on his Dream Chaser spacecraft. That's interesting. You know, I would like to say that they're going up there on the space platforms being built where facilities can be built and, you know, creating jobs for civilians as well because they've got to support the military train going out there. This is much bigger than just going all out west to the so-called new world, discovering new lands. There's a lot further distance and a lot more logistics behind it than the situation we are faced in now. But I'm crazy. So the Chinese, again, they're moving full ahead with their plans. And remember, they have that spaceport, which is like a full NASA front slash Area 51 type facility. You don't know what's really going on underground. What do they got working on? 
But that brings the question. What do we have that's working on that President Trump said is going to be coming out? Things that are, you know, would seem impossible. Technology and tools for the military, for the Space Force. Remember, we really haven't seen much of that yet, remember? But he did say it. But that would benefit the whole public. And it would help us make this change and adapt to the positions of which we now must take in space. We must expand. We must go off-world. There are those that don't want us going anywhere. The dark side, the bad guys, the controllers, the ones that want to keep us down on the farm. You see the problem? So speaking of uh, reusable vehicles, and hope and change is not all completely ruled out. As SpaceX launches the Starship Big Epping Rocket SN6 prototype test flight on heels of the Starlink mission. And this was from two days ago. But a gleaming SpaceX Starship, the Big Epping Rocket prototype, launched into the sky above southern Texas Thursday, September 3rd, in a brief uncrewed test flight of a rocket designed for eventual trips to the moon and Mars. See, Elon's goal is to go to Mars as well as to the moon, but not as a factor to the moon first and then a turtleneck sale pace policy speed agenda to go to Mars. See, we could do both simultaneously, really. Those with the balls that are going to go and help pave that way for the rest of us. Their sacrifices will become our knowledge gained, and we adapt. But the cylindrical Starship SN6 vehicle, which much looks like a grain silo with the rocket engine, rose high into the air above SpaceX's Boca Chica's test site and hovered for a few moments and then set down on stubby landing legs, according to a video of the event captured by tourism sites Espadre.com and NASASpaceflight.com. The flight appeared similar to an August 4th test of SpaceX's Starship SN5 model, which reached an altitude of 500 feet on that hop. SN6's launch was the second flight of the day for SpaceX. The company launched a Falcon 9 rocket carrying 60 Starlink Internet satellites into orbit for SpaceX's growing mega constellation. That mission lifted off from Pad 39A of NASA's Kennedy Space Center of Florida at 8.46 a.m. Starship SN6 is the latest in a line of prototypes SpaceX has used as testbeds for the technologies required for a massive, fully reusable launch system for deep space missions. Some of those prototypes have exploded by accident, others by design, while still others, like the SN5 prototype and the smaller scale Starhopper craft that flew several test flights last year, listeners to the show can appreciate, have made actual rocket-powered hops. The SN6 prototype test fired its Raptor rocket engine last week, setting the stage for today's test flight. You see, what you're seeing now is history unfolding of the fate of what we, now we must make. But I know, I'm crazy. SpaceX's Starship Big Epping Rocket Plans calls for an architecture consisting of the 165-foot-tall Starship spacecraft and a giant rocket called the Super Heavy that will launch the vehicle off Earth. Now remember that this spacecraft will eventually be able to carry up to 100 astronauts, or people, and it will be also used to ferry astronauts and cargo around the solar system, according to Elon Musk. The technology billionaire claims that the Starship Big Effing Rocket can land on the moon as early as 2024, though the goal was 2022, remember? They're going off the government's plan now and uh, forcing the connection to meet with Elon Musk and NASA to make this happen. Because like President Trump said, listeners to this show could appreciate that they even skipped out of his speech, which we alluded to a show or two back, 
where he said that when he took over, became president, NASA was dead. Grass was going in the crevices and the cracks. And it's true, but remember, they skipped that part out. And instead of hearing NASA, they clip it out and was dead. You know, I mean, it was going nowhere. But now it is because they got the policy change. It ain't those that were selling out this nation, destroying our nation, and who took our space dreams and inheritance from us was the commie traitors. But look at what we're doing now. But although it is not clear when missions to Mars might be possible, Mr. Musk has frequently spoken about his desire to help transform humanity into a multi-planetary species, as well as his ambition to one day travel to Mars himself. Now that's very important. That is making our fate, and we must be behind him publicly. Thank God he wasn't born and raised in China for their own commie purposes. So their plans, again, call for an architecture consisting of the 165-foot-tall starship Big Effing Rocket spacecraft and a giant rocket called the Super Heavy that will launch the vehicle off Earth and help make our fate in the stars. But Elon Musk, SpaceX's founder and CEO, has unveiled a series of evolving designs for the Starship Big Effing Rocket launch system in recent years. The most recent design, revealed in September of 2019, calls for a Starship Big Effing Rocket capable of carrying up to 100 people using six Raptor engines on the vehicle and another 31 engines on the Super Heavy booster. Both vehicles will be reusable with the full stack likely launching from a sea-based platform, Elon has stated. The company has already signed its first customer for a Starship Big Effing rocket trip around the moon, Japanese billionaire Yasako Mizawa, who hopes to fly in 2023. And he's invested an unknown amount of billions to Elon Musk. Now, granted, he's Japanese and, you know, he takes balls to help. We the people... Wake up and decide that we must all be a part of these missions that make a thousand, which is his real vision, fleet of these big effing rockets. Making things happen now. Not on a turtleneck sale pace policy speed agenda of those who are trying to soften us and weaken us off, as well as, I'm just going to say it because I'm crazy, kill us off. Again. Whether that plan comes from here or from the threats coming from deep space that we are now needing to have a space force for, where again, listeners of this show could appreciate we honor Vice President Mike Pence's words where he says, And here from this bridge to space, our nation will return to the moon and we will put American boots on the face of Mars. I mean, right there, it's pretty clear in your face, pun intended. And they're not landing with flags and flowers, but M60s. So back to the article. NASA has also picked SpaceX's Starship Big Epping Rocket as one of three commercial spacecraft to potentially land astronauts on the moon by 2024. Musk has said that a major goal for the Starship SN prototypes is a test launch to an altitude of 12 miles. The single-engine SN6 won't go that high, but one of its successes will if all goes according to plan. Think about that, people, how big this makes this. Think bigger. See the vision. Partake. We could all benefit and prosper, even financially, by us all adapting to Elon Musk and President Trump's vision of an architecture that will help establish our adaption into space, let alone cislunar orbit on a much larger scale than just a couple few astronauts. 
and a huge presence on the moon with construction. You're going to have people building, eating, drinking, doctors. People are going to get sick, and they definitely need to have doctors and equipment. There's going to be all types of fields, and this could benefit America as the leading beacon and the leading nation to help build that infrastructure of our future to which, like President Trump said early on, and touting about this creating the space for us to protect our homeland. And he says the greater scheme of that, it's not just our nation, but our planet. To secure us, he said, from the threats coming from deep space. Remember, he told General Dunford when he signed it, hey, got it, General? Yes, sir. Good. Now go get it. I and listeners on this show appreciate I have a question to that. Go get what? There's such urgency to create the space force. There's a lot more than meets the eye here. So one wonders why I have contortion in my mind and why I'm seeing red. We are in a war with communists. So I just wanted to bring that up on the status. So it's a race. Again, I want you people all to understand this. And it's not just, again, of science and knowledge. This is serious shit, geopolitical situation going on to where whoever secures by adapting to that high ground of space and having the dominance in it controls not only the earth but the future of the nations of the earth and what could be had and attained for all humanity out there in the stars, even close to home in this solar system. But this brings us now to another rocket that's been being built. Elon Musk vision i like his vision and is the greatest vision with the most balls out approach and balls to try to achieve something of what he's trying to achieve for us all you must realize that and then when considering the nasa's plan turtleneck snail pace policy speed agenda is to do that minimally why that's why i'm not a big fan of the artemis program the orion and what they're trying to build when they're wasting all those millions of billions instead of seeing the better idea to join hands with Elon Musk and SpaceX and build these 1,000 big effing rocket spaceships. That will make this happen. So let me just get into this article released earlier today by Elizabeth Howell. NASA mega rocket blast past cost estimates forces Congress notification. Yet, Elon Musk is pounding away. Blood, sweat, and tears representing us all, as well as himself and financial business-wise. Of course, he's an entrepreneur, but he sees the advantages there as well as others, as well as the commie Chinese do. Again, wake up. But NASA's new space launch system, the SLS Mega Rocket, and associated ground infrastructure have soared past original cost estimates to agree that requires the agency to notify Congress about the ballooning budget. See, look at all those mass problems this thing's been having over time, trying to put it together. And look at the progress. Again, blood, sweat, and tears. And the design and the complexity to make things cheaper, reusable, will not back him on a mass effort, creating thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs to make this happen. As laid out by President Trump, which would be the ideal vision to make his vision and what he said that could happen and will happen, must happen. 
But thus recently appointed leader of NASA's human spaceflight efforts, Kathy Luters, announced the new cost estimates in a blog post published on August 27th. The new development baseline cost for SLS is $9.1 billion, and the commitment for the initial ground system's capability to support the rocket's first mission is now $2.4 billion. Looters wrote without elaborating on what the previous baseline costs were. Isn't that? That's how they get you. That's how they worm their way through things to try to get more money for steering us on a turtleneck sale-paced policy speed agenda to our demise for a new world order and the commie Chinese to take from us and subdue us with. But I'm crazy again. Oh, I got to calm down. But Congress had previously approved a $7 billion commitment for the SLS's development according to a 2019 fiscal numbers. The first launch of the SLS is scheduled to be Artemis 1, a test flight to send an uncrewed spacecraft around the moon in November of 2021 in preparation for a 2024 moon landing. See, Elon Musk wanted to get there and believes that he could by 2022, especially if he had the support and the balls of NASA and others backing him instead of just trying to keep him in line in a tow. But anyway, that's my opinion. Am I right to it? Don't hate me for it. I'm going to say it anyway. Hold on. The first launch of SLS is scheduled to be the Artemis 1, again, a test flight to send an uncrewed spacecraft around the moon in November of 2021 in preparation for a 2024 moon landing. But Luters wrote that the Artemis 1 mission remains on track so far, although the agency is cautious due to the potential impact of the coronavirus Chinese Kung Flu so-called pandemic and anyway don't get me started you can talk to our guests later about that one but uh that is forced physical distancing but that is forced physical distancing but that is forced physical distancing no it's more like indoctrination getting us used to communism all right in some cases led to shortages of parts in the space industry so a successful green run hot fire test will enable us to better predict a target launch date for the mission, she wrote. She also noted that future rocket development should proceed more smoothly and that the Orion spacecraft to carry astronauts remains on track for a test mission to lunar orbit in November 2023. Now remember, again, Elon Musk, 100 astronauts. We're talking about maybe three or four astronauts, maybe five, but I'm believing it's three or four. But we are all in the builds. But we are all in the builds for future missions, and we are seeing significantly improved build rates, high-quality work, and the efficiencies across on board. She wrote. Moving forward, we aim to continue to reduce production costs for the world's most capable launch system as we take on new challenges of our lunar exploration program. Back in April, according to Space News, the U.S. Government Accountability Office (GAO) report assessing NASA's major programs put the estimated development cost of the SLS at $8.75 billion, and the ground infrastructure called Exploration Ground Systems, EGS, at $2.33 billion. Both figures are estimates from January, which were only published in April. The new figures represent slight increases over the GAO estimates. Boy, imagine if they got these uh, type of Chinese Kung Flu trillion dollar funds to put into this and behind Elon Musk and NASA. Again, bigger vision. 
But NASA is more likely comparing the new numbers to its baseline 2014 estimates for the SLS and EKG programs. According to Space News, SLS was then expected to cost $7.2 billion and EGS $1.84 billion. The new estimates represent an approximately 30% increase over the 2014 numbers. And yet again, the commie chinks have just launched a potential reusable aircraft slash spacecraft. Wake up! You don't see them bitching about the politics of money and trying to acquire funds. The race is on. But in a report published in March, NASA's Office of Inspector General did warn that the SLS program probably had exceeded the 30% budget overage rate threshold that mandates notifying Congress. How much has Elon Musk spent already in getting him where he's got and to where he's going to be taking us with the government's help as well as we the people? Again, the bigger vision. But the report added that NASA had not adjusted its baseline cost estimate back then to account for removing about $1 billion in costs related to SLS's solid rocket boosters and RS-25 engines. According to Space News, Congress is unlikely to make major changes to either the SLS or EGS programs due to the notification. Good! No offense, good! Switch it over to someone again, the bigger vision. Don't stagnate. The race is on. But while the Senate has yet to take up the House's appropriations bill, dealing with SLS and EGS, the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, Senator Richard Shelby, Republican, I guess, of Alabama, has advocated for SLS in the past. Further, the House appropriated more money for SLS and EGS than the administration asked for. Of course they did. And then how many pockets does these things get laundered through before the funds that get put into these efforts? But the House again appropriated more money for SLS and EGS than the administration asked for at $343 million more and $75 million more respectively. You see? It's all about the numbers and the politics. And who do you think the swamp is and what President Trump is trying to drain out? Again, the swamp. The dark side, the bad guys, the controllers, the ones that want to keep us down on the farm. But we must make our fate now. But only in time will people see how not crazy I am. Only those down through time can appreciate my words now. But I'm crazy, right? And maybe here's where, from where hope is going, and now change can apply. As NASA-funded scientist claims new thruster could approach light speed. He says his mega drive could enable space flight to neighboring star systems because miraculously it doesn't need any propellant. Now, that sounds interesting, doesn't it? And promising, especially as a poke in the chest at a commie ch Chinese. Again, I hope it blows up. So let's get into this one. 80-year-old lung cancer survivor in California State University, Fullerton physics professor... Demetrius Jim Woodward has an out-of-this-world idea to allow spacecraft to travel to neighboring star systems. Tiny crystals that vibrate tens of thousands times per second when an electric current is applied. Kind of makes you think of a Star Trek scenario, huh? But his invention, dubbed the knock effect, gravitational assist, or the mega drive, makes the extraordinary promise of a propulsion system that relies on nothing but a source of electricity. No heavy combustion fuel necessary, as Wired reports in a fascinating new feature. 
The idea is to accelerate slowly, but over a long period of time, according to Woodward, a spacecraft with the mega drive could eventually reach velocities approaching the speed of light with the help of an onboard nuclear reactor to supply decades worth of electric power. The mega drive relies on Mach's principle, named by Albert Einstein himself, which claims that inertia is related to distance gravitational effects. As an object's energy changes, the very matter of space and time changes around it as well. A controversial and interpretation of Einstein's famous mass-energy equivalence principle, E equals mc square. In other words, according to Wired, if part of an object, in the case of the mega drive, parts of tiny piezoelectric disks were to simultaneously change its mass and energy state, it could theoretically start accelerating. Woodward's work on his mega drive has been ongoing for over 30 years. He has even awarded funding through NASA's Innovative Advanced Concepts program in 2017. With the grant money, Woodward and his collaborators have even designed a conceptual uncrewed spacecraft called SSI Lambda, an unusual looking craft that houses an array of about 15,000 scaled up mega drives. More recently, Woodward's latest mega drive produced far more thrust than all his previous prototypes. I was shocked at the huge increase in measured force. Hal Fern, close collaborator and physicist at California State University, Fullerton told Wired. Yet other researchers are still skeptical of the novel device. I'd say there's between a 1 in 10 and also a 1 in 10 million chance that it's real and probably toward the higher end of that spectrum. Mike McDonald, an aerospace engineer at the Naval Research Laboratory in Maryland, had told the magazine. But imagine that one chance. That would be amazing, he added. That's why we do high-risk, high-reward work. That's why we do science. Woodward and Fern are now planning to send a demonstration of the device into orbit to test how it fares in space. That would be interesting for the sea, wouldn't it? Kind of reminds you of that Star Trek movie. I forget which movie it was, where I think... Uh, they have to go back in time and, what was it, Star Trek Generations or something, and they meet the guy who built the first warp drive. So they had to make sure that they were there and, they, and to help him enable to do it because history was being changed. I don't know, I guess you'd have to see it to understand. But that's really interesting. So the race is on, and you can get a glimpse of certain things that can be done and applications and thoughts and ingenuity, especially if people who are critical thinkers can understand the criticalness of this race that we now face, pun intended. Maybe there could be a convergence of many of these things to see the vision of Elon Musk and we the people and that of the future United States of space will be forthcoming. This brings us to our last article, which is kind of relevant regards to the subjects of our guest tonight. But the moon is rusty and it's likely Earth's fault. From space.com, no wonder the moon is inching away. The moon is turning ever so slightly red, and it's likely Earth's fault. Our planet's atmosphere may be causing the moon to rust, new research finds. Again, what also makes things rust? Metal. Again, I'm always keeping in mind my friend and previous guest, Mr. Jock Doubleday with the shielding hypothesis. But anyway, but rust, also known as iron oxide, is a reddish compound that forms when iron is exposed to water and oxygen. Rust is the result of a common chemical reaction for nails, gates, the Grand Canyon's red rocks, and even Mars. 
The Red Planet is nicknamed after its reddish hue that comes from the rust that it acquired long ago when iron on its surface combined with oxygen and water, according to a statement from NASA's JPL in California. But not all celestial environments are optimal for rusting, especially our dry, atmosphere-free moon. It's very puzzling, study lead author Shui Li, an assistant researcher at the University of Hawaii at Manoa's Hawaii Institute of Geophysics and Planetology, said in a statement. The moon is a terrible environment for rust to form in. Lee was studying data from the JPL Moon Mineralogy Mapper, which was on board the Indian Space Research Organization's Chandrayaan-1 orbiter while it surveyed the moon in 2018 when he realized that the poles of the moon had very different compositions than the rest of it. During its mission, the Moon Mineralogy Mapper detected spectra, or wavelengths of light reflected off various surfaces of the moon to analyze its surface makeup. When Lee focused on the poles, he found that the moon's polar surfaces had iron-rich rocks with spectral signatures that matched that of hematite. The mineral hematite commonly found in Earth's surface is a specific type of iron oxide or rust with the formula Fe203. At first, I totally didn't believe it. It shouldn't exist based on the conditions present on the moon, co-author Abigail Freeman, a planetary geoscientist at JPL, said in a statement. But since we discovered water on the moon, people have been speculating that there could be a greater variety of minerals than we realize if the water had reacted with rocks. For iron to turn rusty red, it needs what's called an oxidizer, a molecule such as oxygen that removes electrons from a material such as iron. But the sun's solar wind, the stream of charged particles that constantly hits the moon with hydrogen, has the opposite effect. Hydrogen is a reducer, or a molecule that donates electrons to other molecules. Without protection from this solar wind, such as the magnetic field that shields our planet from it, rust should not be able to form on the moon. So what could be going on? <laughs> but it does, and the key may be our own planet Earth. The moon doesn't have an atmosphere of its own to provide sufficient amounts of oxygen but it has trace amounts donated by Earth's atmosphere, according to the statement. The terrestrial oxygen travels to the moon along an elongated extension of the planet's magnetic field called a magnetotail. Earth's magnetotail can reach all the way to the near side of the moon where more of the hematite was found, according to the statement. What's more, every full moon, the magnetotail blocks 99% of solar wind from blasting the moon drawing a temporary curtain over the lunar surface, allowing periods of time for rust to form. But there's still one extra ingredient that's needed for rust to form, and that's water. The moon is mostly devoid of water, save for frozen water found in lunar craters on the moon's far side, far from where most of the hematite was found. But the researchers propose that fast-moving dust particles that bombard the moon might free water molecules locked into the moon's surface layer, allowing the water to mix with the iron. These dust particles might even be carrying water molecules themselves, and their impact might create heat that could increase the oxidation rate, the researchers said. You know, I'm thinking of that video, Taken of the Moon, that was analyzed by Dr. Mark Colato of the three enormous elongated ships that were coming around from the side out from behind the moon that crossed over the brightly lit crescent that went into the darkness and as it just crossed into the darkness 
as the, it looked like the ships were going down. It looks like they went in to pushing some type of atmosphere or whatnot before they disappeared. And I brought it up to Dr. Carlotto that that looks like what it is, like it's going into some type of thin atmosphere or something. But as we're all told, like he said to us, the moon apparently has no atmosphere. So then what was it look like it was pushing? It looked like it was pushing like a cloud of some sort. Was this this thin clouds material that's being discussed here? Or does the moon, in fact, have a thin layer of of a really thin atmosphere around it, maybe of these water particles and whatnot and dust? And it is possible maybe that some water got there, maybe from previous cataclysms of Earth hitting it, for all we know. I don't know. It's just something to ponder. But you all can see that video of Dr. Mark Carlotto's analysis of those spacecraft coming around the moon and pushing that atmosphere as it goes back into the, toward the surface. It really makes you wonder. And you can see that on the faces of Mars.com. But the moon is mostly devoid of water, save for frozen water found in lunar craters on the moon's far side, far from where most of the hematite was found. But the researchers propose that fast-moving dust particles that bombard the moon might free water molecules locked in the moon's surface layer. This discovery will reshape our knowledge about the moon's polar regions, Lee said in a separate statement from the University of Hawaii. Earth may have played an important role in the evolution of the moon's surface. However, these are still hypotheses, and more data is needed to understand exactly why the moon is rusting. Even more surprising, small amounts of hematite have been found on the far side of the moon, which should be too far for Earth's oxygen to hitch a ride on the planet's magnetotail, according to the statement. So what else could it be? <laughs> so it really makes you wonder, and I wonder, does that also help with the various colors that we see of the moon? As such as an amazing place it is, we haven't really barely scratched the surface of what that moon really is. And believe it or not, there are also people, and even some scientists, that claim that the moon is artificial. So again, the things out there that await us are amazing. On the moon, Mars, and beyond. Well, so that being said, I guess it's time that we should go to a break and then come back and introduce our guest, Robert Morningstar as he has some subjects on the moon that he would like to get into, and that may surprise some of you all. But everyone, I would like you all to please go to www.thefacesofmars.com. That's www.thefacesofmars.com. That's right, and scroll on down the page, see the information about tonight's guest, and click on his links there for his website and check out the images, a few of which represent tonight's subjects. Scroll down a little more and click on Dr. Mark Carlotto's latest Before Atlantis article, Ruins in the Stands, Evidence of a Lost Civilization in Central Asia. And look at that image, you know, as you click on it, to read that after the show or at your earliest convenience, kind of looks like something you would see on the moon. And under that image link, you could definitely see there the video showing the three craft coming around the moon and Dr. Morcolato's analysis of that. It's still amazing. And you can still see it pushing in atmosphere, every one of them. But uh, click the image below that for Collision Course on freedomslips.com, Sundays 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. With my friend Francis Walsh, because we all know he's got that cosmic obsession. And under that, of course, you got UFO Diary Cydonia, the Earth-Mars connection. Check that out. 
I scroll on down more to page. You can see a different type of face of Mars I found on Mars. Very interesting. And under that, check out Rami Bari Lons. Cool Mars exclusive images. Click on those images to go to exclusive Mars images to see his amazing work and amazing finds by many others. So, so listeners know and appreciate. We got a motto here. Pack them and smoke them because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on a Martian revelation. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. Imagine that everything the U.S. government has told you about UFOs since Roswell has been a lie. Imagine that in the decade after Roswell, the government attempted communication with the aliens and succeeded. And after that, in absolute secrecy, things had gone far, far beyond this. Now imagine that tomorrow, the whole secret program is going to fall apart and every terrible thing is going to come out. All we have left now is a prayer. Morningstar Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up, a fictional but unflinching and terrifying look inside the UFO cover-up, the secret government that supports it, and the world of the aliens themselves, and then how the whole secret kingdom ends. Morningstar Pass, a book that pulls no punches and does not sheath the sword unblooded. Morningstar Pass, plunging boldly where no other book has ventured, captures the whole wondrous nightmare that the UFO experience has become, from bizarre experiments performed on helpless abductees to horrifying mutilations to beyond to the world of secret government supported by its own secret police to the aliens in their secret bases and finally to the beckoning stars themselves the book does this by placing the cover-up humanity and the earth in a real cosmos where humanity and its passions are a part of the universe not an aberration on it then comes the fall of the cover-up in a climax of violence and desperation to leave the human race facing the multi-hued stars with eyes open and seeking its place in them. The sands of time have run out for the cover-up for against it, leading an army of investigators and warriors, comes Cassandra Chen, beautiful, driven, and doomed. Who can save her and us? <laughs> You'll have to read it to find out. Morningstar Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up by Victor Norgard. Get yours today. You can find this at www.firstbooks.com. Twenty seconds and counting. T-minus fifteen seconds. Guidance is internal. Twelve, eleven, ten, nine. Ignition sequence starts. Six, five.
Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legere, the Marge Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian, your host of the Martian Revelation. So now that you've packed them and smoked them, let's get into this and introduce our guest, Robert Morningstar. And Robert Morningstar is a civilian intelligence analyst, investigative journalist, and psychotherapist living in New York City. Robert is a specialist in photo interpretation, geometric analysis, and computer imaging. And Robert Morningstar is also a graduate of Power Memorial Academy and was a New York State Regent Scholar of 1967 to 72 at Fordham University where he received a degree in psychology. While at Fordham University in 1969, Robert participated as a research fellow in the U.S. Navy-sponsored program to develop artificial intelligence. An expert in Chinese language, history, and martial arts, he is acknowledged as a master of Yang Family Tai Chi Chuan by the Hong Kong Tai Chi Masters Association and is taught at Oberlin College and Hunter College, the City University of New York. In 1992 and 93, he worked in the Behavioral Science Department of the International Center for the Disabled. And Robert is also an FAA licensed private pilot and instrument ground instructor and has studied the paranormal and UFOs for over 50 years and published many research articles on the Internet exposing government cover-ups and deception applied in the JFK assassination. His work is cited in major books on the JFK assassination, notably in Paris Flamands, The Assassination of America, and Conspiracy Science by Professor James Fetzer. And Morningstar was a featured speaker at the Secret Space Program conference held in San Francisco in June of 2015, where he exhibited Apollo lunar anomalies and UFO activity that occurred throughout the Apollo missions. And Robert has written extensively to expose NASA's use of disinformation technology to suppress evidence of an extraterrestrial presence on the moon. And Robert is currently the publisher and editor of UFO Digest, which exposes the real nature and menace of the UFO phenomena and its cover-up to our constitutional liberties. And I'd like to get his take on what's going on recently regards to the UAPs and where they're going with all that with the public regards to disclosures of what I believe we're at a time now where we must be told. And I'm also going to say this, and maybe I shouldn't, forgive me, Robert, but... uh. And I won't get into much detail about it, but I will just say that Robert is also a hero. He is a lifesaver. He has helped recently to provide assistance to someone from dying and bringing them back to help keep them alive. So I definitely commend his efforts for his work and research, but I definitely highly commend him as a human being. And I call him a hero, because that's what heroes do. So it's very cool to have you on again tonight with us, Robert. It's been a little bit, but every time you're on, you always seem to leave awake in these waves on the bite waves of the Internet. <laughs> and I'm glad you had the time you. to chime in with us tonight, as I know you have some things you would like to get into and that could help wake up the masses of the people to the realities of what's out there. And in this case tonight, regarding the moon. So how are you doing tonight, Robert? I'm doing fine, considering what I've been living through here in New York City, the epicenter of the COVID calamity, mm. and uh, the epicenter of one of the greatest crimes that the world has ever known. Yes, indeed. And even not just perpetrated by the commie Chinese Kung Fu, no, no, but no, no. by but our own governors, to... like Cuomo, of... murder. Like... Yes. I have been um, discussing the mystery 
the paradox of the 11,000 senior citizens who perished. It's disgusting. And all by design. All by design. It's, it's a terrible, terrible... It's a terrible crime that I would rather leave behind tonight is the subject that I want to discuss tonight is current politics to some extent, but I want to convene this this, uh, this show with you, your return to the internet. You've been gone for a few weeks or two. Everyone's been affected. Mm. So I'm calling this a communion on the moon where we're all coming together as Americans, as world citizens, as the rest of the world may be listening. We're all part of this wonderful mystery of life, but there are many mysteries about life on Earth that really involve the moon. One of the most amazing facts about the moon and human evolution is we humans would not have evolved as we have into what we have had the moon not been there. Now, Robert, Robert, how can one say that, though? Now, we know we can physically see things like with the Earth and the tides and the tidal lock, but, but to go that far of a leap, how, why do you say that? Science-wise, I mean, uh, I'm not, I, I'm not I, trying I, to be rude. I mean, it's, I think it's a good question. Good question. Good question. Just a good, uh, equally good question is, why don't we see the colors of the moon at uh, at all on right. Earth? But we'll, I'll answer that question later. The reason I say that mm-hmm. is that if there were no moon, time on Earth would not be as we know it. Would it be time faster? On, Earth would be an endless year. We would have no months. Consider that. It is the moon that gives us the calendar. Without the moon and its phases of the moon, whether lunar new year or lunar year or the solar year, it is the moon that punctuates the months. And without that... All right, that I understand, but how does that go to the extreme? (laughs) Here's another one. Let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. I have taught in many places, and one of my favorite places um, to give lectures and classes has been the Edgar Casey Center in New York City, where I've taught remote viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've taught month-long courses in remote viewing. And in each of those courses, the, the target of the exercise, after learning for three weeks how to remote view, the, the target on the fourth week was the moon and my students and I have had marvelous revelatory experiences exploring the moon through remote viewing as was done by Ingo Swan in uh, and described in his book Penetration the last time I went to the moon I had an incredible experience and an incredible insight as I was heading toward the moon Something stopped me halfway between the Earth and the moon and turned me around. Now, again, you're talking about a remote viewing experience? Yes, I'm talking about remote viewing. I'm talking about remote viewing, which exists side by side in our space-time. When you're in the remote viewing state, you don't stay in the present. Your consciousness is expanded both in, in the future direction and in the past. So in this case, I guess that makes sense. My body was stopped. I turned around and I looked at the Earth, 
and I was shown the earth spinning very rapidly as if I were seeing 10 days to two weeks of time because it, it, the earth made about 10 to 12 rotations in a very short amount of time. Ah, so if there was no moon, it would be the earth would travel faster. No, that that may be that may be, but it's true. The moon also uh, is acts like a governor on the, the the rotary speed of the earth. But this is not the important part. Uh-huh. What I was shown was the tectonic plates of the earth buckling like a tank tread. The tectonic plates that hold the continents and the subcontinents and the ocean itself, they were buckling. And because of the effect of the moon, the moon's gravitational pull was creating microquakes all day long so that the, the tectonic forces could not build up as quickly to cataclysmic levels. And I realized that without the moon, the Earth would be suffering super earthquakes. Without that little uh, dissipation of friction between the tectonic plates on an everyday basis, Little minor little earthquakes caused by by the moon's effect, uh, tidal effects. The tidal effects, by the way, are exerted not only on the ocean, which is the most obvious, but the tidal effect of the moon also is affecting the continents. The continents are lifted and dropped a little bit, and that lifting and dropping of continental plates is dissipating huge earthquakes, superquakes, which would have devastated humanity and animal life on earth and that was a tremendous insight it was one of the most beautiful revelations that i have ever received and uh, i'm happy to say that i've received quite so a lot you of remote viewed a part in time where there was no moon and you were witnessing this no no this was while the moon is present oh while well, it was present it was doing that and it's presently doing it now and here's another interesting thing I found out. Uh, uh, well, years ago, I started to notice that some days the morning seemed very, very long. Okay. And the afternoons went very, very fast. And on other days, the mornings went very fast. And the afternoons were very, very long. And in reading about the effects of the moon at different phases and at different angles... The moon does accelerate and decelerate. That's why I use the word governor, like a governor on a on a on a vehicle. You know, they won't let it go faster than a certain speed or or less than a certain speed. Right. So, I found that out. Uh, This was when there was that earthquake in Sumatra. Remember the Christmas earthquake about 2004? Right. They said actually, it actually affected the tilt of the earth, but also the speed of rotation of the earth. And That's it was right. while I was investigating that, that I learned from selenologists, that's the proper word for lunatics who are obsessed with the moon. They call them selenologists after Selena. That's another name for the moon, like Luna. So that's when I learned of this uh, slow uh, acceleration and deceleration of the earth's uh, spin. So we owe a lot we owe a lot to the moon. Imagine going out each night and not seeing any moon, not having the luminous, the, the dim light of the moon even makes it possible for us to do work at night. And without that, it would be pitch black. And I want but, to commend you. But at you. the same time, I Robert. I want to commend you on this beautiful 
panoramic view that you did for this program huh. where you have shown the world what an astronaut would really see standing on the moon. I think, honestly, Gary, I think this is a masterpiece. No one has ever shown people on Earth what it really is like to be on the moon with no atmosphere, looking out into the Milky Way with an artificial satellite floating around, which we'll get to talk about a little later. I call uh -huh. it the Sentinel. It was discovered and photographed, oh, at least four times by Apollo 10. Mm. We'll talk about that later when yeah. we go and listen to the music of the moon. Now, but Robert, before you go on, now, regards to what, let me make sure you get this straight. Again, I'm not the quickest guy, but not the slowest. But the thing is, if the moon then is helping the earth, and I guess what you're saying, yes, and like a governor, a governor is an intelligently made thing to govern the the engine, another created thing. That's right. Now that would indicate and implicate anyway uh, to crazy land. Um, I'm crazy, so they say. Well, I see an artificial balancer as it was an artificial placement uh yes you know what it's like because they you know knew how to control earth or planets and maybe they do this whoever did that could do that not just here yeah well, what would that be a type one civilization type two on a Kardashian scale let me give you an analogy what the moon does interacting with the earth is similar to when you go and have your wheel alignment and your tires balanced. You mm -hmm. know, they'll take a tire on a rim and they'll put it on a spinner, and you'll see a wobble. Right. And uh, sometimes you'll see them take lead clips and attach them to different regions, different parts of the rim to balance it out. To, in, in order to balance the wheel, uh, and that analogy holds holds true, I believe, for the moon. The other thing about the moon, that I do believe that the moon was not always here. Too many intelligent things going on, and by what you just said, too, people think about that. The moon was not always here. Go, Robert. <laughs> well, the moon was not always here, right. There are many traditions, legends, that there was a time before the moon. The... the uh, the Australian Aborigines and certain Native Americans, uh, the legends are all over the world. And even Aristotle spoke of it, that there was a time before the moon was here. So whether you believe it was towed into place or we had the cosmic collision with Thea and that the moon aggregated, this, I saw something called cosmic collisions at the Hayden Planetarium about maybe 10 years ago. It was spectacular. And what they showed was the most recent calculations made by three Cray supercomputers mm -hmm. at Sandia Laboratories and uh, NASA and in Japan. They united to input all the information that we've gathered about the moon and its nature and they moved the supercomputer back in time to create a simulation of the crash of a planetoid, traditionally now called Thea, that came and crashed into the Earth. 
and mm. plowed through a section of the earth that became the Pacific Ocean, gouged out a tremendous basin into which the waters that uh, almost totally covered the earth at the time, they drained into the Pacific Basin. And the... Condolite Noctis Labyrinthus. Uh, yeah, Noctis Labyrinthus up there on Mars you're talking about, right? Right, something like that. Well, I would liken it more to the Solus Locus. Noctis Labyrinthus is up high up on oh, the Oh, that's right, Solus Locus. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. Solus Locus is the big punch, the giant crater... This crater is so deep on Mars that the sunlight doesn't reach the bottom of it until eleven o'clock. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be going nadir over it. <laughs> right, and, and also, it is also what causes the effect called the Eye of Mars, which I saw in two thousand three. I saw the Eye of Mars, and it scared the hell out of me. I have, you know, there's a thing called fear, and there's another thing called shock. But there's this thing called dread, you know, mm. and dread is what I felt. I felt something that went down to the pit of my stomach when I saw the eye of Mars rotate into view and it looked like a giant eyeball looking back at me through the telescope. I was, I felt dread because I realized that whatever was on Mars, evolving or extant, was totally destroyed in one night with one impact, the impact of the asteroid that dug out Solus Lacus in the region called Taumacia. And the creepiest thing about seeing this eye of Mars is that it took it a while to come around the bend. You know, I saw a black spot on the side, and in the course of an hour, it slowly rotated and came, and when it was looking at me in full view, it had a black tear. And I wondered whether this was an archetype that resulted in Alice Cooper's eye. You know Alice Cooper's yeah. eye? You know the makeup with the black tear? Yeah. That is a, if you took his eye out and left the black tear dripping down, that is what this thing looked like. And I felt dread. The fear that such a cataclysm could happen to the Earth, that in one night or one day, an asteroid could devastate the Earth and wipe out everything because what I saw in my mind's eye was an impact so great that the word megaton just pales by significance. I saw the the, the Mars terrain gouged out, exploding, turning molten, and creating oceans of steam as they fell back into the into the Martian oceans, which did exist, and there is still water on Mars. I've discovered water on Mars in several photographs. And I'd like to make a distinction. When I'm critical about NASA, I'm talking about something I call Paleo-NASA. And I'm not as critical about NASA now because there's a new regime, there's a new paradigm in NASA, and I call it Neo-NASA, right? And that is that since 2016, since President Trump took over, there's a whole paradigm shift that's occurred. And oh, now, yeah. This new NASA is going back into the archives and releasing better and better pictures, higher resolution, uh, unscrubbed, unscrubbed photographs. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that when we talk about the colors of the moon right. and the true nature of the mares and how they are different. For example, 
the Mare Tranquillitatis is a deeply gouged out impact area, while Mare Serenitatis, the Sea of Serenity, is a giant mound where all the debris from the impact in, in, uh, into uh, the Sea of Tranquility exploded and was dumped. And you can actually see the rise of the land in the area of Serenitatis and then the deep gouging of the uh, Sea of Tranquility. Mm. So these are marvelous things. Tonight, folks, you're going to have a, a revelation about the moon such as you never saw before. Gary, you've done the most beautiful work with the photographs. and uh, I thought it would be fitting. I felt it. Now, Robert, I believe that you were wanting to also do video for a bunch of this, right? For what you want yes, to show and end, stuff? Toward the end, I have, uh, I have two videos. It's called Communion on the Moon. Yeah, but I mean also and, uh, like the share screen for uh, pictures as well. Yes, 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 we're going to do that. But Excellent. I want to leave that toward the end uh, until we discuss, um, you know, all of the right. the legend or the missions. And then we're going to, I hope to, well, I plan to pay tribute to the man who put us on the moon. The but man I mean, without whom there would have been no Apollo landing on the moon, and mankind would still be looking at it like a, the monkey in uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Moon Watcher. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Remember the guy yeah. who picked up the bone? The yep. monkey that picked up the bone and started smashing. Uh, Figured out box. it could be a tool and a weapon. Now, uh, right. now, going back to the moon for a second, so... It wasn't always here. And the way that it is, it's so coincidentally intelligent. Has intelligent purpose. Intelligent design coincidentally by nature on what it does for the Earth and, and or stabilize the Earth or whatever reasons other that it would now, be and know, that would be even facing us like that too. Yeah, like, let's talk about that. Let's, why? Why does the moon never turn around 180 degrees so that we can see the Mare Orientale, which is one of my favorite regions. Robert? Which is one greatest, of your favorite? Re repeat that, Robert. You went out. Ever. You went out, Robert, which is your one of your greatest, and then you went out. Oh, one of the greatest features on on the moon is the Mare Orientale on the far side of the moon, which we never get to see because the moon doesn't, it can't. The moon cannot spin like the Earth spins. And the reason I found out from a professor at Princeton University mm -hmm. named Edward Valbruno, who wrote a book called Fly Me to the Moon, I highly recommend it to everyone. I learned two very important things, many important things, but the two most significant things are, first, the moon does not rotate and turn a face away from the earth because it is eccentric. The earth has a central core of nickel iron in the center and then an ocean of molten iron around it and then the, the, the magma and the mantle, etc. The moon is eccentric. That means that it doesn't have a centered core. It actually has three giant lumps inside it called mascons. Hmm. And if you think of loaded dice, right? Everybody's had the experience with loaded dice. Right. Where they put two ball bearings in the die. So when you throw it, it's lopsided and the weight will make it land, you know, 
on snake eyes or whatever number they want to do. But loaded dice so, doesn't happen naturally either, Robert. Right. <laughs> you do throw, right? And, and, and the probability is always going to be greater that it's going to land on the bottom part where the, the lumps or right. the ball bearings are. Right. So I'm just using that as an analogy. Right. For this cycle, it's the mass concept, concentrated mass inside the moon. And there are three giant areas on this side of the moon. And as a result, those three giant mass cons are in a tidal lock with the Earth. And when it tries to spin away, they're pulled back. And, and this oscillation of the moon speeding up and slowing down, the, the Earth is governing the moon too. Right. So just as the moon is exerting a gravitational influence, as I ex uh, described before, of buckling the plates, the tectonic plates of the Earth, releasing energies at, at their uh, borders, the Earth itself is exerting a magnetic tug uh, on the moon that does not let the moon turn away from us. And Always maybe it could be energy. also taking in that power energies, if you think of Tesla... There may be that, too. You see also, what I mean? I mean, anything's open there. I mean, again, too much natural intelligence is going on there. And there's a lot of unnatural intelligence. Well, that's what, that's my point. <laughs> you know, natural well, doesn't, it's it's not intelligent. You know, we have, we have uh, the riches, the blessings of the space program right. have uh, trickled down to the average person. And there are many the so-called amateur astronomers who are working now with some of the most beautiful equipment, telescopes with CCD chips tracking that keep it steady. And some of these people, like Dabu 77, mm -hmm. Crow 7, uh, Crow with two Cs, Crow 777, and a few others, they have been monitoring the moon and they've been capturing marvelous things. UFOs, flying over the moon, across the moon, changing directions, UFOs coming over the limb, right. a space station disappearing behind the moon during daytime. Um, I've seen living things coming out of what would, I would describe a giant, as a giant cave on the moon. Someone, one of these um, amateur astronomers, zeroed in in a certain section of the moon, and he caught some, I wouldn't call it an object, it looked to me like a living thing. It looked to me like a yellow moth of some sort coming out of a cavern and fluttering off and then whoop, just zipping Mothra. away. So, yeah, the mysteries of the moon are being revealed. And as I've said for many years, you know, about the JFK assassination and about the lunar cover-up, the moon cover-up, the Mars cover-up, it's we the people who are going to instruct the government on what's going on. It's we the people who force, well, with the help of the U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy forced UFO disclosure in 2017. December 16, 2017. Mm -hmm. that, was, that is an amazing year to remember because it was what, 70 years from Roswell, and ever since the Roswell crash, there's been an internecine war in the military and in military intelligence yeah. between the U.S. Navy and the Office of Naval Intelligence, which has always wanted to tell the people the truth, against 
the Army Air Force. I say it that way because Army and Air Force were one entity in World War II, right. and then they got in 1947. But right. the mentality didn't get split, right? The mentality right. of secrecy and cover-up and deception was maintained. And the first director of, of the CIA, uh, Admiral Roscoe Hill and Cotter, the next, uh, Sidney Soares was another one. Wasn't uh, Granddaddy Bush part of that? Bush is a big part of the cover-up, right? They're part of the paperclip Nazis. You know? Right. They're... You know, hand in glove with them. Hmm. So this so war has been an intelligence war was being waged all those years, and because President Trump was elected, he he was actually recruited by the United States Navy to try to save the country from the communist plan that, that was hatched and was well on its way to uh, fruition and completion. Like Q says, invasion uh, by infiltration, not invasion. Oh, infiltration and um, subversion is the word, subversion. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're facing now. We have been subverted. Well, one political party, one political party has been subverted by Islamophiles. Hmm. People don't know. When Clinton lost the election, she lost control of the Democrat Party. <laughs> and I say that because it's not Democratic anymore. And a lot of their Martin. deals that they had to screw us. But listen to what happened. She lost control of the party. She lost control of the uh, DNC, yeah. the Democratic National Committee. And who took over? Tom Perez and Keith Ellison. Tom Perez was elected. And there was a, a schism, you know, people were upset that Keith Ellison didn't get it. So rather than uh, have this schism in the Democrat Party, he said, I'm going to choose Keith Ellison to be my co-chair. And Keith Ellison and he co-chaired the DNC for the last four years, right. and they are the ones that have orchestrated this Marxist takeover along with AOC and the Squatty Potties, though that group of women, all Islamophiles, yeah. all radical Marxists, they have turned a goon squad over on the Democrats and they've cowed the regular Democrats, the centrist Democrats, into complying with their demands. Yeah, Islamo commie Nazis. Islamo-fascism, communism is my word for it. But let me just tell you this. People would be loathe or hard to find this hard to believe. But I ask you this. What was Keith Ellison? Who was Keith Ellison before he got elected to Congress from Minnesota? Nobody knows. Nobody hmm. remembers. You know what he was? What? He was the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. Terrific. Keith Ellison was the head of the Muslim Brotherhood in America. He was elected to Congress. When he was in Congress, he began to uh, organize the, the black Marxist movement that, with Antifa and George Soros' help, yep. has taken over, hijacked. They have hijacked the traditional Democratic Party. And turned them and into an existential threat against us. Exactly. And as I've said... I'm very upset that the Kennedy clan still adheres, sticking 
to the Democrat Party, which is the party that killed John F. Kennedy, the party that killed Robert F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, and yeah. covered up those crimes, protected the killers for over 50 years. And it's trying to kill us all? Well, look at what's happening in Portland. By the way, tomorrow afternoon, I have a radio show on Revolution Radio at mm -hmm. freedomslips.com. It's called the Morning Star Report. And tomorrow, we're going to deal with this uh, national crisis, the killings in Portland. Mm. And we're going to have um, a resident of Portland who is going to very courageously come and speak to us about what he has seen happening in his, his hometown right. over the last couple of years and who's pulling the strings. So we're at war. Also, I'd like to say a word to Congressman Joseph Kennedy III. As I've communicated with his office and with his web page and his Facebook page and his followers, I think that he was robbed in the last election mm -hmm. because no Kennedy could ever lose in Massachusetts by 10%. Right. So, and, and that um, an old hack like Edward Markey could beat him so radically, and that's the right word, radically, 10%. It couldn't, I could believe 5248. I could believe 5347. But mm. nobody's going to convince me that Joe Kennedy lost Massachusetts by 10 points without vast mail fraud and uh -huh. uh, fake ballots. Yeah. So I urge him, I urge him to run as an independent. Mr. Kennedy, you have an opportunity to leave a sinking ship. Your granduncle, John F. Kennedy, is famous for saying, a rising tide lifts all boats, but an ebbing tide will ground all boats. And BLM and Antifa are an ebbing tide that will ground the Democratic Party. Yes, and you on the boat belts. You have an opportunity to break away, to become an independent, you have an opportunity to redefine yourself. And as I said to Michael Lemoyne Kennedy and others of the Kennedy clan, John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy would never stand on the same stage with a cult of baby killers and organ harvesters. He would not, he would not stand on the same stage with Marxists, communists, anarchists who want to destroy the United States, our economy, and the U.S. Constitution. Mr. Kennedy, your loss in this primary is a blessing. You have been given an out. Even the President of the United States remarked upon it. It was quite a, 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 quite a very nice invitation for you, Mr. Kennedy, to join with Real Americans and save the Constitution. Yes. Someone is needed in the Democrat Party to do to the Democrat Party what Donald Trump did to the Republicans. He has refashioned it. He's created a new entity. Same name, but a different constituency. Especially with a space force Kennedy, and a reinvigoration of NASA poking them in the chest, telling them that if, uh, Bridenstine them, that if they don't 
you know, follow along with the agenda and the plans that they're setting out for the country, they'll find someone else who can and will. And lo and behold, That's Elon funny. Musk is building that. <laughs> well, the president was very uh, gracious. He was he was funny. He was funny. Yes, he, he said, is. You know, Kennedy lost by ten percent in Massachusetts, and he said they threw him out. They didn't want him because he's a half normal guy, and uh -huh. he he's not radical enough. And that's a quote. And I thought that was a really nice way of saying, hey, man, Joe, you're okay, man. You're a normal guy, uh -huh. right? And some normal person has to take the reins and reconstitute the Democratic Party back to the center, an independent Democratic Party. And Joseph Kennedy has the charisma he has the legacy that John F. Kennedy brought to the Democratic Party and brought to the country, the Congress, the Senate, and the presidency. So, so, so was JFK Jr. <laughs> Q. Well, Jr. would have been would have been the one, but they killed him too. <laughs> it's it's easiest it's easiest saying that. Right. He did not die a natural death. He did not die by pilot error. One of the proudest achievements of my life. He was on his way to winning, Kennedy. too. Yeah, well, I we made it clear that he was going to run for Senate, and he would have won it hands down. But I am proud to say that in the first accident report regarding John F. Kennedy Jr.'s crash, they used the word pilot error. In 2003, I met with the vice chairman of the MTSB, uh -huh. and I showed him from their own accident report that John F. Kennedy's plane was sabotaged. He suffered a massive electrical failure that deprived him of all his instrumentation, all of his lights, all of his guidance, and left him practically flying upside down, not knowing which way was up. I keep seeing that. As a result I keep of that conversation, yeah, please let me finish. And I keep as a result of that conversation, a second report was issued in 2003-2004 which removed pilot error huh. from the crash report of John F. Kennedy Jr. And it's, it says spatial disorientation, which is exactly the truth of what happened and what happens to any pilot when you lose your instruments, your guidance, your radio, your communications in the dead of night out open over the open sea. I don't know why, Robert. Maybe this is a form of remote viewing, but I see that old sea egg, uh, Clinton's face connected. I don't know why. Well, QE Bono, right? The, the question is who benefited, right? When you have a crime, you have a murder, or you have some big scam, the first question is who benefited by this? And no one benefited more than Hillary Clinton because that eliminated any competition that she had to become senator in New York. For their infiltrated plan against us. The 16-year well, plan to destroy America. And Hillary our space program. Clinton. Robert. Communist, communist since 1967. Right. They were, and she was an acolyte of, of Saul Alinsky. <laughs> Saul Alinsky has written the, the manual... The, the, the manual of dirty tricks, as I call it, the rules for radicals, which are, has become the handbook for Antifa and BLM. <laughs> and that is a book that is dedicated to none other than Lucifer. You look at, read the preface, and Saul Alinsky dedicates that book 
specifically, openly, to Lucifer, whom he calls his first rebel. Figures. And so we are, this is a, a spiritual battle that we're engaged in. This is a battle. Listen, when, when uh, you hear the Democrats speak, Biden and, and uh, Kamala Harris, they keep saying this, we're fighting for the soul of the nation. Yeah, their soul. battle for the soul of the nation. My, my friend is very insightful. She said, you know, Robert, they really, are, they really mean that. They don't want just your vote. They want your soul. And they're telling you they're out for your souls. Yep. yep. So that's what I have to say. And I congratulate future Senator Kennedy because I'm trying to get him to run as an independent. That would be the... Because Joe Lieberman, you know, another Democrat uh, from Connecticut many, many years ago, mm-hmm. the radicals turned against him and they did a primary. They stole the primary and Joe Lieberman said, fine, you stole a primary, I'm going to run as an independent. And he won. <laughs> I think that Joseph Kennedy the third can do the same thing. And he would be doing everyone a favor by showing that he stands apart from baby killers, organ harvesters, looters, rioters, and murderers. And notice how also Trump was right where he stated that NASA was dead. Did you see that speech a week or two ago, Robert? Um, I think it was one of the states he was flying to in one day. And I forget exactly now, forgive my ignorance, what spot it actually was, but it was like a second one. And uh, he mentioned how when I came into, when I got power, basically when I started, NASA was dead. They clipped out the word NASA real time. Uh Uh-oh. And it just and all you heard was uh, when I came to power, but you could hear the clip, well cut off, and it says it was dead. Um, there was nothing going on. There was grass growing out through the crevices. Someone's deliberately right. trying right. to cover up yes. the history that NASA, in fact, was dead, and the fact that the Democrats and the Commiecrafts have also been trying to destroy our space program for many years. Oh, yes. Absolutely, Obama was the worst. Yes, Listen, Obama. Obama made a trip. And look at the to, Chinese. But Obama made a trip to Kennedy Center, <laughs> and when he arrived, all the technicians were told that they were not going to be allowed in the same hall to hear his speech, and only senior managers were allowed to hear some speech, which they did not publicize. Basically, Obama was killing the space program. He was selling it out, and also. Talking about the Chinese advances in outer space, yeah, that would never have happened had the Clintons not given them our science and space technology, our missile technology. Yep. I have an article on UFO. All for the bigger plan to destroy us. Thank you for putting the the link to UFO Digest. That is a classic issue. UFO Digest has now become an archive of all of the articles that we wrote over a 20-year period. Um, Dirk Vanderplug passed away in 2014. I kept it going for the last uh, six years, all on my own. And we in the family have decided that it's an archive now. And I've gone on with my own. um, I started a, a section called the UFO Spotlight on UFO Digest. So now I have the UFO spotlight on WordPress.com, and I continue new work. However, that article that you have um, highlighted on the page 
will give you an account of seven UFO encounters that I have had here in New York City, all at the same place, the Soldiers and Sailors Monument, most of them at 11 o'clock in the morning, all of them at my Tai Chi classes, all of them with witnesses who were my students. And I had the most amazing close encounter with a UFO that came down the street, 89th Street, appeared to me from behind a tree, rose like a lead balloon. My brain looked at it. It was the biggest balloon I'd ever seen in New York City because your brain tries to make sense of these things. You know, you just can't believe it. It was a 50-foot globe, gray globe, appeared from behind a, a tree that was about that much in diameter. Mm-hmm. That's what caught my eye, something moving behind the tree. It rose vertically between the buildings, higher than a 15-story building, went up about another 100, 150 feet higher. And I was watching it from the time it was low over the street. I walked along looking at it, calling my friend's attention to it, and she saw it too. When it got high above the building, it started, it seemed to me, to rotate and I thought, and there was a glimmer, like a halo around it. And I thought it was going to just be a rotating sphere. But when it rotated, it presented the classic flying disc profile, flying saucer. And at that point, it changed from just a vertical rise. It started fl- flying very slowly along the curve of Riverside Drive. The buildings on Riverside Drive are curved. Mm-hmm. The facades are curved in unison along with the curvature of the street. It flew around the curvature very slowly, waving its wings. If you take your hand palm down and palm open, and you rock your hand from thumb down to pinky down, rolling it over very slowly like a three-second oscillation, it did that, waving to me as it waved and curved around the monument and then left heading out toward New Jersey and going out toward... Teterboro Airport. Hmm. I called Teterboro Airport to talk to the tower. They wouldn't let me talk to the tower, but I talked to the public information officer. And I have to tell you, times have changed. I would have been very reluctant to do this, but because of the U.S. Navy disclosure in 2017, I knew I wasn't going to get ridiculed or laughed at. The guy was really serious, but totally befuddled. Did you call call Davenport, UFO Reporting Center? No, I, I didn't. But listen to this. Mm-hmm. I wrote this up. I was very, it was one of the most exciting and beautiful things that's ever happened to me in my life. And a psychologist from Canada wrote to me. He said, you know, Robert, do you know what it means when an airplane waves its wings or rocks its wings? It's a signal to you. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you something. I got a message I got a signal from this UFO when it started doing that, and it was moving really slowly, like a 100 miles an hour, like a slow single-engine plane that that we're used to seeing everywhere. Right. And it said to me, happy flying. That's it. The message was, happy flying, and then it went off. But here's the kicker. Happy flying. I'm totally excited, so I write down this chronicle of at least seven incidents over the last, since 2007. When UFOs came close to me and my students while we were at the Tai Chi class. And two months later, that was June 1st, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, June 1st, 89th Street and Riverside Drive. 
And in August, I found a dash cam video taken by a driver racing down the down ramp into Staten Island on the Verrazano Bridge with his dash camera on. Right. And the same UFO that I saw streaks across from left to right. And because I know the direction of the Verrazano Bridge. Right. And I know the roads in Staten Island. And I saw the course. I could plot the course of that UFO. I plotted the course. That UFO was shooting through the Verrazano Bridge area, mm-hmm. heading straight toward the Statue of Liberty. And if I extended the line, it went toward Teterboro Airport, huh. where the other UFO was going. And I've included the link in that article, except it's not a clickable link. You have to cut and paste it to see it. But I'm very proud of that article. And the, There's the video the- on it. The video of the dash cam is inside. It's embedded in there in the article. Sweet. The later part of the article deals with UFO sightings over New York City. And New York City has practically the highest concentration of UFO sightings in the United States because we have the highest concentration of people in the United States that do look up at the sky. That's and right. You've got to look up in order to see. Hey, you're not going to find UFOs, although this one found me, I have to tell you. I was looking down at the ground, and what drew my attention was the roar of an airliner that went right overhead, and the monument I'm speaking of is made of marble and granite. So the roar came out of the floor, right into my face, and I looked up and said, oh, an airliner heading over to LaGuardia Airport. And as I was looking at it, my peripheral vision picked up some motion on my right side, and I looked, and I saw emerging from behind this tree that's next to a yeshiva, uh, a Jewish uh, children's school. It emerges from behind the tree and just floats up. And I'm going. I'm really flat. It's cognitive dissonance is a funny state of mind. You know, your brain is looking at it and trying to make sense of it. Like, what's a lead balloon doing rising? And I'm talking about a 50 foot diameter, you know, as right. wide as the street is, and vertically straight up to higher than 15 story building, and then to do what I've described. Now, Robert, so, it wouldn't be that far-fetched to attribute this these uh, things either, and not too many people speak about it, of a destination point of where they may come from, they may have the a moon. Base there. Oh, yeah, well, but they, I'm talking about bases on Earth. I have, had, uh, I have had a lot of close encounters. I've had some in the air. Uh, on one of my first solos, way back in 1990, I believe it was March of 1990, I had a solo flight to uh, from MacArthur Airport in, in New York. I know that. To right, yeah. Albany uh-huh. and Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and back. And as I took off early in the morning, around 11 in the morning, it was very hazy. And I was at about 2,000 feet near Northport. Northport, Long Island is famous for a uh, power station, and there are giant stacks there, two giant smokestacks, mm-hmm. and they're called Northport Stacks. So they're a reporting point. When you're coming to or leaving MacArthur, you describe your position by two miles south of the Northport Stack, two miles north of the Northport Stack. So I'm approaching them, and I saw these two objects on my lower left my lower left wing, rising and climbing through the haze. And they were flying at the same velocity. They were kind of small because this was about 
two miles, I guess, two miles, uh, two and a half miles when I first saw them. And I reported to MacArthur Airport, uh, MacArthur Tower, uh, Cessna Juliet Hotel, 212 Juliet Hotel. I have some traffic on my left side, and uh, they said to me, well, we don't see them on the radar. I said, they're approaching and they're climbing. And they say, well, sometimes aircraft there are too low for us to pick them up. But here's the kicker. To fly in this area, every pilot is required to have a transponder. So even if the radar can't pick you up, you have a radio beacon called a transponder, which mm -hmm. is sending out a radar signal to make sure that they do see you. Right. And it's forbidden to fly in this area without a transponder. So my transponder is sending out a beep to them that appears on their radar screen with my identifier. And these planes should have had that, but they couldn't see them. They climbed up to my altitude, and once they got within, let's say, a quarter mile, my, my mind was a bit perplexed. They were both flying in unison. They were both egg-shaped. Huh. And as they went, they went right in front of my aircraft, about 200 feet. I crossed the T with them. You see, I was at 2,000. They came up. They came from my left. They crossed the nose of my plane, so I saw the side profile. The side view, and they were shaped like an egg. Were they larger little, than your plane? Tiny, with a little tiny dome, the tiniest dome imaginable, not even big enough for a human head to stick out. And then they went by me, and I flew past them, so I then looked to the right, and I saw them tail on. Were they bigger than your plane? No. They were just about the size of my plane. Wow. And, and listen... There was no fluctuation in them. They, they were, it seemed to me like they were tethered by some magnetic tow rope. If anybody's ever flown a, a glider, which I have, it's a really cool feeling, but you always stay the same distance from the tow plane because the cable is holding you. And it's only when you cut the cable that you have a different Kind of like the Star Wars movie uh, with the kid riding yeah, uh, those races, the pod racer. Yeah. So listen to this. This is, this is one of the most beautiful things about this sighting. They look like beautiful, uh, soft, white egg color as they went by. And when I looked at them from behind the tail view, they were oblong like eggs that way too. Isn't it so funny when you think about the 70s, uh, Robert? Remember Mork from Mork? <laughs> yeah. He had an egg shit. Oh, Yeah. Well, listen, this is becoming more common. I just got a, a beautiful video this morning taken uh, no, no, no. Uh, taken uh, from an airliner over Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And it's one of these craft. It's pure white. It's streaking across the sky. It's leaving little puffs of, con I call it condensation. Some people think it's a propulsion system. But uh, they're all over the place, and they're calling them popularly the Tic Tacs. Right. So we always see the U.S. Navy that we have had a soft disclosure. And all the fears of the War of the Worlds, you know, which is the reason they claim they couldn't tell the people. We all panic. And I say to people, you know, the U.S. Navy forced the UFO disclosure December 16th in 2017. And you know how the public, the public received it? With one big yawn. 
Yeah, so now there's a rush for the Space Force that's now created, okay? Right. And a turnaround of our nation to put our places dominant in space. I believe this intelligent force is the force that Ronald Reagan was adhering to, of that was already here among us already, and that yes. has this plan and may be initiating the, the, the real initiator behind everything going on in the world and where the world was going you attributed, and which is not just you, but it's known facts. Many of these people are satanic, and you know what? It's coming more real every day. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but you got to have faith, and we got to trudge on, and we got to make our fate. Not let these, whether scriptural forces or evil outside forces, or threats coming from deep space. Because uh, based on Brookings, we're over that time now. We're at a time now in that period of that end date, which was what 70, 80 years. That now we must be told. Exactly. And who's telling whom? The American people are telling the government we don't believe you anymore because they say at least 5% of the American people have had not only UFO uh, sightings but UFO contact. I'm holding in my hand a have. top secret document from 1947. Mm -hmm. The name of this document is Assessment of the Situation, Statement of Position on Unidentified Flying Objects. It is a long paper that I received from MajesticDocuments.com, which is Dr. Robert Wood's wonderful website. And in this document, it says that an alien did survive. The alien was telepathic. He was debriefed. And in the debriefing, he told why they came to Earth. The reason this alien claimed they came to Earth was because an Earth scientist in the 1920s sent out a very powerful signal through our solar system that crossed outer space. And when that powerful beam of energy arrived on their planet, it started to disrupt their gravity. Who sent that? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who sent that? They're not talking about. They're not talking about Todd and Jenkins. They're not talking about Todd and Jenkins, are they? Hear the rest of the account. Okay? They said that they signaled back to try to signal this scientist on Earth to stop sending the signal, but apparently he couldn't decipher the message, and so they had to come themselves to see what was happening here and to try to stop the beaming of that signal, that energy beam, that ray, that was disrupting their gravity and causing destabilization of their solar system. Okay. And the, the Army says, the, again, remember Army Air Force? This is now Air Force when it's just starting, um, but still not yet split off completely from the Army or our Central intelligence, but th we can't be talking it about that. It was Nikola Tesla. Uh, ah, now that I can see. Now, so but therefore, I believe Todd and Jenkins' experiments. What was that? The nineteen twelve or in the early twenties? And they had to have the worldwide national radio outage so they could receive what they did that sh had a face of Mars on that first facsimile TV style printout. Remember. Um, yes. Now, so I don't think it would be Todd and Jenkins. Now, Tesla, well, as you said, sending out beams. Therefore, that's now considering like the moon, like we talked about earlier. 
how that side, same type technology in the, in the moon being positioned where it is as it is, maybe it's receiving power from this planet that could power the inside of technologies that we've only yet to see, pun intended. Well, let me... That's let me amazing. To, let me go back to the Edgar Casey remote viewing classes, and uh, we had marvelous success. Marvelous success. One of my students saw a bridge on the moon, and he drew a facsimile. He's an excellent artist, like you. You know, he could uh, montage images, and he drew... He took a George Washington bridge and put it over uh, craters Sweet. on the moon. But the most fascinating guy was this guy from Colorado who just walked into my last class. He said, I'm from Colorado. I heard about your class. I'm sorry I haven't been here. Can I take this class? I know I didn't get the training, but uh, can I sit on the class? So the training involves deep concentration, meditation, breath control, mind control, your own mind. Right. right, not uh, you controlling the mind. That's right. That's right. I can give you the guidance, but which makes me laugh because uh, I did a program last week and I, I was trying to remember something that Mark Twain said, and mm -hmm. I had a mental block. And the reason I had the mental block was that Timothy Leary was talking to me and saying, "No, no, no, don't say that. You got to tell him this." And I, come on. So what it was was, Timothy Leary said to me. And to everyone uh, who was listening to him at a lecture and, and some uh, videos that he did, he said, learn to operate your brain, because if you don't, someone else will. Right. Right? And then, as soon as I said those words, the Mark Twain uh, statement came clearly into my mind, and I've been quoting it for years and years, but at that moment, I had a total mental block because I my brain was being intruded with by Timothy Leary's try uh, learn to operate your brain because no one else if you don't someone else will right the phrase that um, that Mark Twain said it's easier to fool a person than to convince a person that they have been fooled right and that leads mm. us to the coronavirus scandemic and this mind control operation like the world has never seen before. And deceiving and us nothing, of our space like heritage. since JFK assassination. Mm -hmm. there, there has not been a hijacking of human consciousness and perception of this magnitude since the doctoring of the Zapruder film, since the swapping of uh, the, the body switch with Officer Tippett, the doctoring of the photographs of the autopsy. Nothing like this has ever happened to the same scale where the whole world has been fooled as this pandemic that we are suffering through right now, which yes. is an attempt to communize the entire world, to Islamify the entire world. Folks, you're wearing burqas, you're wearing slave masks, right? It's a big, fat, effing joke on all of you, sheeple. Yep, and that takes time, That's and this is a is. plan that has been unfolding down through time by a presence, an intelligent presence that knows what the hell they're doing, and there's two sides they've that war with our, each other. Now, Robert, they've turned our men and women. Mm -hmm. They've turned our men and women into nothing more than Iranian women who are forced to wear the burqa. And the worse. Hachi. And worse things. Okay? Yes. Yeah, so... The, another thing, historically, masks like these were forced on African slaves. 
and there is a photo going around a man that named Max Eigen, I-G-A-N. I think I've seen it. Yeah, well, um, I, I received it from our friends at the other side of news, mm-hmm. and I've been posting it. I got kicked off uh, Facebook for uh, a little more than 24 hours, and I got a stern warning <laughs> that uh, I was violating community standards yeah. by speaking against the N95 mask. You know why the N95 mask is a joke? A real sick joke, because it doesn't work. The, M- <laughs> yeah. the N95, I'll tell you why it doesn't you work. You mean a bandana won't work either? <laughs> Band-Aid, try to Band-Aid on each nostril. No, the N95 mask will not work, because it's designed to be worn only in a contaminated area. Right. And while it, it filters the air coming in, it doesn't filter the air going out. Right. So if a person has COVID and they're breathing out through the N95, that air they're breathing out is contaminated. Here's right. another thing. While we're on this, let me just... Hey, I want to borrow my mask. Let me finish it off. Tommy, man. Last week, the CDC revised all of the mortality rates that they've been pushing for the last six months. Oh, yeah, wait till you this shit, people. They said... They said that when you look at all the the death certificates, 6%, only 6% of the so-called 170,000 who have died, only 6% died strictly of COVID-19. Right. What's that, like 6,000 people? 9,000? The other 94%. Wait, the the other 94%. Yeah, it comes to a little less than 10,000. The other 94% had at least two comorbidities, and the average age of those victims was 82 years old. <laughs> so it's a very sick joke being played upon us by a bunch of psychopathic, genocidal mani- maniacs. Foremost among them, Bill Gates and Dr. Fauci. Yep. Folks, Dr. Fauci is a criminal. He is a criminal as bad as any that the Nazis had that caused the Holocaust. Dr. Fauci is the creator of COVID-19. What happened to Dr. Dr. Fauci? Dr. Fauci was conducting gain-of-function research on coronaviruses from 2005 through 2015 when the FDA of the United States of America said, you guys are crazy. Mm-hmm. That's illegal. That's criminal. Why do you want to take a coronavirus and make it more easily transmissible between human beings? No, this is against the law. This. So what Dr. Fauci did is he farmed out the work. He gave $3.7 million to the Wuhan Virological Laboratories. The commie to Chinese. Conduct, to conduct gain-of-function research on the coronaviruses. He circumvented... American law. He is a criminal. He it was an attack. It was an attack on all of us. Take lies, create and fear, initiate communism. Another crime. Another crime of Dr. Fauci. He's been covering up cures and therapies. Oh, Hydroxychloroquine does prevent it and does cure it. You know, I was watching MASH yesterday, and isn't yes. it funny? This is the episode where, you know, um, the, the 
the the general guy, the old guy, I forget his name, but uh, he was, had a high blood pressure. So he was telling his men, don't forget to take the high, uh, their chloroquine pills because of the malaria and other things. I just started cracking up. Oh, man. There because was, remember, it's, there a, it's been around. But listen, this is called pre uh, predictive programming. There's an episode of The Dead Zone, a TV series that oh, yeah. uh, aired early 2000. In 2003, they had a coronavirus epidemic. It, it came from Wuhan, China. Oh, really? And, and chloroquine was the cure for it. <laughs> I, I you can't make this shit up, huh, Robert? Oh, man, it is, it is so sick. But, you know, we're not sick. And we're many are waking they, up. Let me give you another uh, scam. The scam is called fake statistics, okay? Now, California went through its coronavirus epidemic, right? We got three then minutes until we go to break, just so you know. Go ahead. We got three minutes till then break. They, they, then they were coming out of it. They were coming out of it, and they, they stopped the, the lockdown. And then all of a sudden, they said, oh, no, we're having a spike. We're having a spike. So they superimposed the, the lockdown, the quarantine. is driving people crazy, causing suicides, causing all kinds of mental mental illness, panic. These people are <laughs> sick. Well, listen to this. Two weeks ago, the health commissioner of California was forced to resign because somehow she had mis misplaced or not counted 300,000 positive results of corona testing. Huh. Now, but listen to this. So they had had 10,000 deaths and they claimed 250,000 cases. When you do the math, that was a mortality rate of 4%. Now, the true figure with the 300,000 positive cases would make that the positive cases 550,000, 250 plus, you know, 250 plus 300, 550,000 positive cases, but still only 10,000 deaths. So when you do the math, 10,000 deaths in 550,000 cases, the mortality rate was only 1.8. You see? Not enough to shut the nation down for. Well, not all of the nation, God bless South Dakota, God bless Montana. God bless all the rest of you who have governors of common sense and who are not part mm. of the cabal that's trying to destroy the economy. Why do they want to destroy, destroy the economy? They are using the game plan that was used in 1916 by a group called the Young Turks. Some Turkish colonels who hated the caliphate decided that they had to overthrow the Ottoman Empire. This was in World War One. They were allied with the Germans against That's the right. Western powers. So what the Young Turks did is they decided they had to destroy the caliphate. But the caliphate was strong because it had a strong economy. And that economy was being driven by the Armenian community. The Armenians are Orthodox Christians. And because they are so... Um, motivated, hardworking, intelligent. They were the driving force of the Turkish economy. They were the industrial part of the Turkish economy. 
Right. They were the ones that were paying the taxes that were making it possible for the Ottoman Turks, the Ottoman Caliphate, to run the government to, to fight the war. So they decided that they had to destroy the economy. And the way they destroyed the economy was by engaging in the Armenian genocide. They killed 1,600,000 Armenians Sick. in order to kill, to kill the golden goose. Yep. The Armenian economy was the golden goose. It was the goose that laid the golden egg. So by killing 1.6 million of them, destroying the economy, they brought down the Ottoman Empire. They established a military dictatorship, which is known to this day as the Young Turks. Now, we jump to 2018, and another group that called itself the Young Turks, they put out ads asking for candidates to run for Congress. Those candidates included Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, huh. Elisa Presley, huh. uh, uh, Jamamila, Prayala Jamamila, Ron Khanna, and that darling from Minnesota, Ilan Omar. <laughs> and then their plan was to take over. And I mean, this is explicit. The guy who organized it, Cenk Uger, he's part of the Young Turks. He had a, he had a YouTube channel. <clears throat> he organized it. He recruited them. And they got a bartender from Westchester, New York, named uh, Ocasio-Cortez, to uh, do a little film. They recruited her as an actress to do a little film about somebody who was running for Congress. But the little film was actually a promo for a real candidacy, and she beat um, this this long entrenched guy in Queens, who didn't think uh, the, the threat was serious. So their plan, as explicitly stated and revealed by Mr. Reagan, Mr. Reagan is a guy on YouTube who exposed it all. He exposed it all. This is not my information. We owe it to him. He found out the villainy and their plan, and their plan is to destroy the economy, eliminate the middle class, destroy our position in space, destroy the Constitution, take over the Congress, and destroy the United States of America to make us part of global communism. So BLM is a front for black Muslims ideology. We're at war. I've been saying it before. But we got to go to a break, yeah. Robert, so finish it. Yeah, okay, so when we come back, I would like to play the tape, the video, and uh, we'll do a honor to President Kennedy, and we'll talk about the communion on the moon, and then I'll play you a radio play that my pilot, uh, my co-pilot, my navigator, and I recorded of the dialogue between uh, the astronauts in the LEM and in the command capsule when they went on the far side of the moon and heard weird outer spacey music that they shouldn't have heard because there should have been no radio signals on the other side of the moon. Indeed. So that would should take us right to the end of the show. So we'll come back after the break. Indeed, the music of the spears. Now with that, people, again, you know, we have a motto here. Pack them and smoke them because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. <laughs> For 5,000 years, the world was ruled with wooden ships by one man. 
242 years ago, a small group of free men declared independence and crafted a new nation based on liberty and freedom. Global elites have been fighting to destroy this new nation called America ever since. Based on actual events, Charm of Favor tells a true story of how they took over the election system. They infiltrated federal agencies. They murdered witnesses, judges, and even presidents to keep from being caught. Now the largest and wealthiest crime syndicate the world has ever known is at war with America. They have already killed hundreds of Americans and recently attempted to assassinate half our congressmen. Still, they escape arrest through an almost supernatural charm of favor. Read Charm of Favor and be prepared to open your eyes to what may lie just around the corner. Charm of Favor is available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble.
Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legere, your host of Mars Revealer. And, of course, you're listening to The Martian Revelation. And quite a lot of info there from Robert Morningstar. But listen, everyone, uh, remember our past guest not too many shows ago, Mr. Ben Creighton? Well, he sent me a bunch of his books, uh, Breakthrough on the Red Planet, first edition. And uh, those not familiar, go back and listen to that show. But uh, I figured... I'll give out the the timeline number, blow the cobwebs off, hopefully if it's working. (laughs) You know, it is how it is. Please hit that big red, white, and blue American donate button. It really helps, believe me. But uh, 202-684-6955, 202-684-6955. One more, 202-684-6955. So doing that, I say... Maybe, you know, I won't, no, I won't be a dick. I was going to say the second person to call in. But whoever calls in and wants to ask Robert a question or give any comments or statements, you know, uh, we're putting that book out, you know, uh, to him as a, you know, promotional to you all. And get familiar with his work and get interested in Mars and look at various perspectives that we cover here on the Martian Revelation Show. So, again, that book is Breakthrough on the Red Planet, first edition. It's only like, I don't know, let me see, 52, 53 pages. So it's definitely, you know, pretty cool. But uh, that's his thank you to you all for listening and uh, tuning in. But anyway, and it preps the way for him to write that uh, second edition to have him back on. So, again, anyone that calls in, I'll say a limit up to three. I want to give a couple out next week, too, maybe. But, again, you got to call in, 202-684-6955. And uh, so doing that, we're back with Robert, and uh, I believe he wants to get get in on the moon aspects. But people, hopefully, are figuring this all out and seeing what was upon us. Our space program was destroyed. You, You can't cut that out. It's a fact. It's a reality. We have a space force now, something they also never dreamt or wanted to prevent. Never mind dreaming of it. They wanted dreaming to prevent it. So Robert just laid out pretty much a scenario of what the reality is of what the enemy that we're facing. We are at war. Okay? They wanted to kill us to prevent us. And look at the Chinese. They were set up as this global system to be the leaders of the world economy and especially of what they're shooting for militarily and space-wise. The race is on. That's why I hope it blows up. But anyway. Okay. Let's not blow this up any farther. I want to turn uh, my attention actually to a, a spiritual part of this program. This is going to be our communion on the moon. And I want to show my respects and my gratitude to my mentor. No, no one has affected my life more than John F. Kennedy. My regular life and my spiritual life. He's been a guide and a lodestone in my spiritual quest. So I have yeah. two short videos to share with you, mm-hmm. which um, are called Communion on the Moon. And the second part is called The Music of the Moon, Apollo 10. Before I go there, I just want to make a mention of uh, a fact. The colors of the moon are not gray and black. For years I have said to everyone that NASA, paleo-NASA, old cover-up NASA, was plastering all of the mares and making them look black and flat and featureless, as if they 
Oh, what's that song by Joni Mitchell? They paved paradise. They paved paradise and put up a parking lot. That's a perfect description of what old NASA was doing to photos of the moon. They were making the Mare Tranquillitatis and the Mare Serenitatis and all of the other Mares look like flat, black, tar parking lots. Softening them up. As I said before, I have been given a gift. Mm -hmm. My eyes are the greatest gift that God has given me. Because my eyes can see into darkness. My eyes can see black within black. And about 10 or 12 years ago, having this ability to see black within black, I was saying, you know, the Mare uh, Tranquillitatis is not flat. It's got, it's got caves. It's got canyons. It's it's got chasms. And the 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 Mare Serenitatis, that's not flat either. It's got mounds. You know, I could see the black within the black, and I could enhance it, but very few other people could see it. And so I kept saying, these are not the true colors of the moon. The the moon is resplendent. I've also held six types of moon rock in my hand and studied them under a microscope. And when I put them under a microscope, that stuff looked like diamond dust, some of it. The breccia is gray and black, and it's an amalgam of various components. There's types of uh, lunar soil, as Mm -hmm. they call it. But northrosite and anorthrosite, like ground down diamonds, and they sparkled with rainbows all over it. And the only place that you can find that rainbow color is when Alan Shepard swings the golf club. They lowered the gain on all the color uh, video that they shot on the moon. But in the, the, they cover <laughs> most of it up. But when Alan Shepard puts that golf ball into orbit, Alan Shepard holds record for the longest drive in the history of golf. He hit a golf ball on the moon that he practically put into orbit. It just disappeared like a UFO. But when he swings that club, the silver handle of the club is reflecting the light that's coming off the ground, and he swings a rainbow streak. So thank you, Gary, for posting these photographs and the article. If you go to the article that's linked to it, long article about Apollo 11, Apollo 12, Apollo 13, Apollo 14... Then we go back to Apollo 10 for the music of the moon. That article has the photographs where you can compare the color photo, the true color photo that was released in June 30th of 2019. If you want, Robert, you could switch up. You know, to the screen so everyone can see. If you want to put these images up that you're describing, that would well, be better actually, for people I, I, too. I'd just like to leave that uh, for later. I don't really want to mess with the situation we have right here, right now, because uh, I want to play you the, oh, all right. the audio. But if you compare any of those photographs that are labeled the true colors of the moon, mm-hmm. and I have to hand it to President Trump. I discovered this first true color photo. I was mind boggled last. June, I think it was 2018, uh, an article came out in a Polish astronomy magazine. I looked at it. I said, this is it. This is the photo I've been waiting for all these years, the true colors of the moon. So I downloaded it, and to my utter shock and surprise, I look at the file name, and the file name said United States dot Trump Enhancement. It said Trump enhancement. Now, all of you who have followed my work, you know that whenever I enhance a photograph, 
I do want credit for my work. I get nothing. I've not paid for this. And so when I do an enhancement and improve the quality of a, of a photo or a film, I put an M on the side and I label it Apollo 10, the Sentinel Morning Star Enhancement. Okay? Mm-hmm. Pardon my ego. Oh, so then right. I get this photo and it says United States dot Trump Enhancement. And I was absolutely thrilled. All right, so I released it on the Richard Hoagland show and on my uh, UFO uh, spotlight and here now for your edification. Mm-hmm. And you can compare that. Read the article about the, the really wild colored ones, uh, uh, color amplification uh, photos that were done by uh, Mr. Mallory. Uh, tip my hat to him. So with that, I want to just say, I want to pay tribute to the man who took us to the moon. Without him... We'd still be looking at that moon like the monkey in 2001 and wondering if man would ever get there. Right. We did it. We got there. We landed. It's a big lie that we didn't land. That's part of the communist plot to steal... To steal... America's spirit. America's... Not America's achievement. So that when the oh, Chinese land, they'll say, oh, yeah, we were the first ones. That's BS. Yeah. All of our Apollo Ash, six of our... Uh, Six missions went and landed on the moon. Right. Twelve men have walked on the moon. They were all American. And next year, hopefully, God willing, an American woman and an American man will walk on the moon. Yeah. So I would like to play for you uh, this part of the production that I did that's called Communion on the Moon. The first part is President Kennedy speaking about our reasons for going. Then I will stop and I will introduce the music of the moon and the background for that. So with that, let us take a moment of pause and remember the President of the United States, the man who saved the world from nuclear holocaust in 1962. He and his brother stopped the Joint Chiefs of Staff from initiating a first strike nuclear attack on Russia based on a mistake. All right, remember, so, though, Robert, we got like an hour or any, or even if a little more if we need to go over. So uh, Okay, well, I'll stay a little longer, but this will take about 23 minutes in total, but let's listen to the speech first. It's about three minutes, and here I present President Kennedy, September 12th, 1962, at Rice University. an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear, an age of both knowledge and ignorance. The greater our knowledge increases, the greater our ignorance unfolds. No man can fully grasp how far and how fast we've come. But condense, if you will, the 50,000 years of man's recorded history in a time span of about a half a century. Stated in these terms, we know very little about the first 40 years, except at the end of them, advanced men had learned to use the skins of animals to cover them. Then about 10 years ago, under this standard, man emerged from his caves to construct other kinds of shelter. Only five years ago, man learned to write 
and use a clock with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. And then less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, electric lights and telephones and automobiles and airplanes became available. Only last week, we developed penicillin and television and nuclear power. This is a breathtaking pace. And such a pace cannot help but create new ills as it dispels old. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, rest, but wait. If this absolute history of our progress teaches us anything, it is that man in his quest for knowledge and progress is determined and cannot be deterred. We shall send to the moon, 240,000 miles away, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago, by the Atlantic? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing for the most hazardous and dangerous greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. And his enemies that's, are all scowling at him, pl plotting to kill him, and the plotting to well, take that plan that down, too. huh? I saw that too. In the background was Lyndon Johnson, turning his head, wiping his sweaty brow. Yep. Lyndon Johnson, the man who, the man whom the mafia and the CIA put in the White House and deflected us from the true course of history. What we are doing now is we're getting the United States back on the right track of history. That's right. People wonder, how can I be such a fan of President Kennedy and be such an ardent fan of President Trump? And that's because I believe that President Trump has the spirit of John F. Kennedy. He is my contemporary New York City, bred, educated, went to Fordham University, he has the spirit of those times, and he is righting the wrongs that were done to our history. He is, he is our only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's right. So, so that's why I believe in President Trump, and I believe that I'm, 
I urge the Democrats to reorganize themselves, to get more centered. I urge stop. that party to be destroyed. So now I would like to turn our attention to this wonderful story that I broke in 2008. I found the manuscript or transcript of the conversations of the Apollo 10 astronauts when they journeyed around the moon, descended to within eight miles of the moon to test the equipment. They wanted to make sure that everything worked, the descent rocket and the retro rocket to ascend and come back to join with the command capsule. So Apollo 10 was a very, very important mission. And Apollo 10 discovered some amazing things. On the web page that Gary has put up, there are three of four pictures. I'm going to send you the fourth picture, which didn't get up there. But the Apollo astronauts took four photographs, some very close, three very close ones, and one very far away one of an object that is orbiting the moon on the far side of the moon, unseen from planet Earth. And I believe it is the formation of a space station. Now, NASA, when these photographs were released years ago, came up with a hokey story. That's Paleo-NASA, the prehistoric NASA. Mm. And they said that this was a three-and-a-half-foot piece of mylar. <laughs> it's pure hokum. Has anybody's ever worked with mylar as I have? I worked with uh, solar reflectors. I built things called light paintings in the 2000s. That is the most bogus cover story you have ever heard. And then I have a fourth picture of the same object taken from a great distance away, like half a moon away. So my calculation of the size of this object is 168 miles from uh, north to south, let's say, in the vertical plane. Uh, how I calculated that, I won't get into. It's very technical. That's a big station. Radius, it involves the radius of a circle, the shadow on the, on, on the object, is about 10 degrees of radius, and when you know the circumference of the moon and 10 degrees of radius of the shadow, you can figure out the size of it. Uh, be that as it may. Now, the main part of this story, the music of the moon. The Apollo, uh, the Apollo 10 astronauts, Tom Stafford, Gene Cernan, and John Young, go to the moon, are orbiting the moon. They go around the far side of the moon when all radio transmissions from Earth will be blocked. By the moon. Right. There's supposed to be radio silence on the other side of the moon and nothing to be heard except the command capsule communicating with the LEM, the lunar excursion module. As I always say facetiously, what a, what a nice name mm-hmm. for, for the spacecraft. The lunar excursion module. Oh, uh, Gene, what did you do today? Oh, I went to the moon on an excursion. <laughs> I went to my... Lunar excursion module. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. The LEM. Is an excursion also a military term? Uh, it can be, but it, uh, most of the time it's just like a, ple- uh, a pleasant trip. Or, uh, an excursion is right. like, uh, going on a picnic. No, I know what you're saying. Uh, yeah. So, well, you see what so I'm saying. Anyway, <laughs> but let me say this. I want to I give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. The LEM was built in Long Island, New York, your old home. Your yep. home state, Gary, not yep. far from where you grew up, right. by the Grumman, the Grumman Aircraft Company. Mm-hmm. And there was a plaque on the limb that said, the last 60 miles are ours, right? <laughs> 250,000 miles to go to the moon, but the last 60 miles, the descent from 60-mile orbit to the surface, mm-hmm. Grumman, 
uh, aircraft had the flight. The last 60 miles are ours, and God bless them. Everything worked perfectly. So while they're on the far side of the moon, Gene Cernan remarks, hey guys, you hear that weird outer spacey music? So remember, in 2008, I'm the guy that found this manuscript, and I went plodding through 259 pages and going, oh my God, can you believe this? Now, was that through their radio transmitters, or did they just hear that in their in their capsule? I heard a serious no, story of that. Both hearing it. No, John Young was hearing it in his, uh, he was in the command capsule, uh-huh. separated from the LEM, and as they're descending and talking to each other, they're hearing this weird outer spacey music. And Stafford and Young don't really want to talk about it. But, but over Stafford, over the mic system or just in where they were? Not on radio. On radio. On radio. All right, go ahead. Okay, on radio. Now the bogus story, the two bogus stories. They're claiming uh, the explanation is that there was radio interference between the two space capsules. That they, like two guys are on the far side of the moon. Let's mm-hmm. call, it, call it two guys, right? The lamb and the capsule. Mm-hmm. And they're communicating with no other interference from Earth to be had. And now NASA, one, one NASA guy... James Oberg, you know, who's the big cover-up artist of all, biggest cover-up artist of all time, mm-hmm. uh, claims that it was their own radios were interfering with each other, which is totally ludicrous. The other story that NASA more seriously uh, considered is that they were picking up signals that were issuing from Saturn, because Saturn does have each of the planets puts out radio signals that can be heard as sounds. True. And the We've problem heard is that. That, that what they presented, first of all, they claim to have released some of the tape. No one could hear that junk and say it sounded like music, okay? Music has rhythm. Music has... Right, harmony, not... not. Melody, you know? Yeah, it's not... Yeah. Anything, right? so, yeah. So, based on that, I said... So anyway, I read the 259 pages, and I read that when they came out of it, they were being recorded without their knowledge. And NASA wasn't hearing what was being said on the far side of the moon. So they come out and they say, uh, hey, should we mention that to Houston? And, and then the other one says, I don't think anybody would believe us. And I, I say, well, I, I, I think it's better not to, because they were afraid. But it should, be on the, it should be on the recording. It is on, but see... They have not released the real recording. What they've done is they've taken the voices of the astronauts, Dumb and them. superimposed junk radio noise in mm-hmm. the background. So I said to myself, it'd be great to do a radio play where I get my friends to play the astronauts. I play John Young and I play Houston. And Scott Teeters plays the LEM pilot, Gene Cernan. <laughs> And Andrew Curry plays the commander, Tom Stafford. <laughs> and so I, I, it's, I remember this is long conversations. They were an hour behind the moon, but Gene Cernan keeps coming back. Like, hey guys, you hear that music? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Oh, they also say, they also say some other unusual things, which I'll leave to to comment on after you hear this recording. I got my friend Laraji, who is an outstanding musician. He had a, I used to perform with him 
when I was uh, performing the oldest dance in the world called Rainbow Dancing. And he used to do a sound called Celestial Vibrations. I won't ask. So for many years, I thought, I would love to have Laraji in the background, just doing some tones, doing some sounds, so we can give ourselves an idea of what my imagination thinks it might have sounded like. So this is what we did. I extracted all the conversations that had to do with the music of the moon and other strange things, and I put together a script, and Scott Teeters is Gene Cernan, Lem Pilot, Andrew Curry is Commander Tom Stafford, and yours truly is uh, Captain John Young, who stayed alone up there in the command console waiting for the guys to go down and come back up. Awesome. So I will play that for you now. All right, Thanks awesome, Robert. Ahead. How long is that? Because uh, 15 minutes, we go to a break. Um, okay, then let's talk for 15 minutes because I don't want this interrupted because I think it's, uh, let me see. Oh, that, how long, well, how long is it? I think it's about 15 minutes long. Let me just All right, just rock it. Go ahead. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes. I don't, it's not okay. a set time. It's just, you know, I want to be consistent. Okay, so let me go back. I think, let me try it here. He asked God's message hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. That's the end of President Kennedy's speech and it should start about here. Yes, we're on our way. The music of the moon. Mission time is four days, six hours, twelve minutes and forty-three seconds, Commander. Hey, when do we fire the helium tanks? Not yet, babe. You want some more brownies? No. So go hungry. That music sounds outer spacey, doesn't it? You hear that? That whistling sound? Yeah. Ooh. Woo! Did you hear that whistling sound too? Yes. Sounds like, you know, outer space the music. I wonder what it is. Hey, Tom, is your insulation all burned off here? On the front side of your dough over there? Right. Yes. Mine's all burned off. Isn't that weird, Erie? John, ooh. Yes, I got it too. And see who was outside. You mark that set of features, Gino. I'm going to fix some grape juice, okay? Okay, man. I have you 269 miles over the horizon. Man, that's just fabulous. Into LGC. Roger, I'm on. There's the one Jack wants a picture of over there. I'll get that form with this camera. Yes, these pictures that the orbiter took are fantastic. You bet. I'm locked on a side lobe. Yes, we sure is getting high. Z? Yes, 286 miles. Oh, this radar is great. Yeah, I got it. It's going to go right out to 310 miles, just like we said. Is it really? Yes, I'll tell you when you get to 297. You don't, you don't know when AOS is, do you? Yes, I've got it written down. AOS is, AOS for us is 102.25. <laughs> it's 102.25 for me. Okay. Four minutes, babe. i got to connect the ascent batteries. Okay. Okay. Stand by bats one and three. High voltage off. Reset. That's one. Two. 
Well, that sure is weird music. We're going to have to find out about that. Nobody will believe us. Yes, it's a whistling, you know, like an outer space type thing. Yes, VHFA. Yes, I wouldn't believe there's anyone out there. Okay, Tom, I'm going to call up P20. We want to pressurize our APS here. You get your wrong view radar breakers all in. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm locked. I'm locked on to him. Okay. There may be a side lobe. Weird, isn't it? Isn't that weird? I think that's a side lobe. I... Is it? Huh? I... Yeah. So what happens now? It ain't doing, babe. Why don't you go ahead and lock your skin? Come on, myself again. Shit. Why don't you find them? Well, let me let, let me look this way. I'll see whether I can find them. We're going to get there. We gotta pressurize and everything. Yes, I know it. P20 doesn't work worth a darn. Tom, why don't you get them manually? Okay. Okay, let's go up to P oh huh? Pick them up manually. We need another mark at ten minutes. God dang it. Houston, I bring you on arms. Roger, Gene. Omni, I just had a... We need another mark at 10 minutes. God dang. Houston, I'm P1 Omnis. Roger, Gene. Omni, I just had a... Houston, we've got you on Omnis. You hear Muton? That phrase whistling? I can hear it. That's really weird. It is. Snoop, Houston, go over the hill. You look good. We're all go here. Roger, Charlie. I'll hit proceed at 12 minutes. Everything's looking good. And we're going to ignore the out-of-plane correction at CSI. Or... Am I going to do the out-of-plane CSI? That's affirmative. Yes, 17 marks. Snoop, you say again, we didn't copy. Roger. Everything's looking good. Roger. Everything's looking good. We're going to ignore the out-of-plane correction at CSI. Over. Proceed. I've already been in PC. I'm... I'll figure this one out. Think we need to put on the helmets and gloves for this one? I don't think. I don't want to. We try it, just to see what's like. That's not really a big thing with helmets and gloves. It's 52.3. What ground give us? I'm glad we didn't torque up the platform. How in the hell did we miss that? We had to have someone on our side at that time. Yes. Oh. Listen to that eerie music. You, you ready? Yes, I need to... I need... Uh, you go to HI. Yes. Plus 45.3 oh, and 0.6 I. Okay. Oh, oh, gosh. Okay, okay. I'll go ahead and open the rendezvous radar circuit breaker. What happened? Open rendezvous radars. We're going to pitch down. Boy, it got quiet. Huh? Didn't it? We got thrusters. Oh, yes. Ready? Proceed. And I just got quiet. Jump in a pitch down and have our x-axis towards you. You may lose our flashing light. Roger. John, do you know we're going to burn now? Roger. Those numbers again. Gene, or what? I'll put mine on. I'll tell you, John, that music is really weird. Think we're going to get our fun done? I know it. You composed something, huh? I don't know, man. No one will believe us. Okay, Tom, we're set until 35 minutes, 35 seconds, and we're at 4 minutes and 35 from the burn. 
We pitch down. No, it's right. But why should I have over? You should be looking at 105. Inertial. Huh? You're looking at 105 inertial. Much better. But, but why should I have down... What? Just down below me. You down below you? Where is he? Uh, maybe it's a reflection. You got him out there? No. Something's weird. Go ahead. Okay. If you didn't have an orb ray ball, you can tell her. You wouldn't know where the hell you were. I'm looking at 270, and my orb ray balls, according to this thing, is pretty good. Tom, and we just updated it, 258. Good, Jake. That looks good. Okay, I'll show you three minutes to burn. Okay, I'll give you mark at three minutes. John, sets. Three, two, one, F. Mark it. Aye, aye. Two, three minutes. You with us? Aye. Yes, sir. That's it. That's weird. Where should I see him down there? Apollo 10, you are go for descent. End of transmission. Well, there you have it. The transcript of Apollo 10. The first digital cockpit recorder, folks. They were afraid that the Apollo astronauts might have a mishap on the far side of the moon and that we would never know what had happened. So NASA rigged the first cockpit recorder that was recording them as they were going around the far side of the moon so that they could turn it on if something happened and find out what had happened. And download now, the audio. Yes, and the audio was not downloaded until they came back to Earth and it was removed from uh, from the spacecraft. And then the transcript was written up and not a word was said for 45 years until... Oh, the transcript was written after the fact that they recovered it. That means... They could put out whatever they want, and that's a good interpretation of what... But I really want to hear that actual video, that audio, rather. Yes. Well, there is one out where that conversation that you just heard uh -huh. is, uh, is played, but the background noise is noise. And right. And there's no, no human ear, especially an astronaut's ear, that could ever... That could ever... Uh, for anything resembling music. So here's the other one. They they say that that sound uh, could be the sound of uh, Saturn or Jupiter, which were lined up with uh, the spacecraft on the far side of the moon at the time. But when you compare what they're presenting, the junk that they're presenting as those sounds, and you compare it, what we really do know to be the... Um, the actual uh, sounds of Saturn, there's no comparison. Well, that implicates it's a lot, too, Robert. Like LRO, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, then, for all we know, there's a lot of classified aspects, and Clementine especially, uh, remember that, that maybe also could have verified this on their own, huh? I mean, technically. Well, uh, Pioneer is the one that picked up the sounds, I want to go back to the book that I mentioned earlier. Just I said that I learned a lot of things from the book. 
but two really important things. One of them was about the three mass cons, the three lumps on this side of the moon that keeps it from more, uh, rotating. The other thing I learned from Dr. Belbruno's book was that in the early history of the solar system, Saturn was a sun. Saturn was a, a, a fiery sun, but it went out. Hmm. And so, if Saturn was a sun, all of the moons of Saturn at that time could have been planets, would have been planets. Right. They could have, life could have started there. And I find it very interesting, two interesting things, that we sent the spacecraft Huygens to the moon Titan, which they found to be very the most similar moon in the solar system, similar to Earth in terrain and structure, mountains and seas, is Titan. Seas of methane, though. But, except it's, it's bathed in methane rains and methane seas and methane ocean, and it's super cold. Now, here's another curious fact. In 1947-48, when the United States government realized that we were being visited by flying saucers and fleets of flying saucers, motherships were coming into orbit over the equator, taking equatorial orbits and deploying the flying saucers that would come down, the scout ships. Mm -hmm. They enlisted all of the major astronomers and astronomy um, observation um, in in civilization. Most of them were in the Northern Hemisphere. Only a few were being built yet in Australia was starting to build big telescopes. But they asked the astronomers like Dr. Menzel at Harvard University, another big cover-up artist, to track the UFO fleets to see where they were coming from. And they were tracked as coming and going from Titan. Huh. Yes. So... Many mysteries yet to be resolved. Uh, thanks for skipping the uh, station break. Uh, I think. Yeah, no I problem. We got to run to that real quick, but that's very okay, interesting let's do to that. contemplate. And then we'll talk about the content because when we did this recording, we discovered things in those dialogues mm-hmm. that uh, are missed when you're reading. When you're just reading it in your head, you're going really. But there are several really important things that were said there that I want to. Uh, focus on when we return. Alright, excellent. And people, as you Thanks. know, the, use the motto, please mute your mic, sir. And also, uh, yep. please mute, we all have a motto here, pack up and smoke because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. Wow, music of the spears. I'll be back. Don't run, we are your friends. <laughs> If you are a listener of the Martian Revelation, then you are well aware that the entire planet Earth is currently involved in an all-out worldwide space race. Every country across the globe, including England, Germany, India, Russia, and China, are involved in a mad Martian rush to be the first country to plant their flag on Mars. Get an idea of what these brave astronauts will be finding on the planet Mars before President Trump plants the first American boots on the face of Mars. You might want to familiarize yourself with George Haas and get to know his work and read his books. Haas has been studying NASA and European Space Agency imagery of Mars for over 25 years and has co-authored two books with geomorphologist William Saunders called the Cydonia Codex and the Martian Codex. 
I encourage you all to support his research by visiting his website at www.thecydoniainstitute.com. And remember, as George Haas has always said, through NASA's own pictures, the truth will be revealed.
Definitely want to stay here all night. Don't you all? Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legier, the Mars Revealer. And, of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation. We're back with Robert Morningstar. So think about that. Music of the spheres, music of the moon. I would really love to hear the actual tapes. I mean, wouldn't you, people? I mean, think about. And that was a good reenactment. But think what the real sounds must have sounded like. That's what is fascinating. And I believe it would be coming from inside the moon. Now, uh, now, Robert, another thing about the moon is that it has been asked, you know, determined pretty much that it's hollow and rings like a bell. Foul. Yes, large caverns, large, uh, large hollows inside the moon that it made. In some cases, it rang for as longer than six hours. I've heard, depending on where they crashed the the rocket. To create create the seismic uh, shockwaves, mm-hmm. it would ring from three to six or eight hours. Now I want to go back uh, to uh, a question that I posed uh, myself, talking about the true colors of the moon mm-hmm. and why don't we see them? Right. So I ask people the question: Why does the sky look blue during the day? And oh. the answer is light. Because, light because the atmosphere, the atmosphere, is filtering out everything except the blue light, except at sunset and sunrise, where the the it acts as a prism and breaks up the sunlight, and we can see uh, you know rust and red and brilliant colored uh, sunrises. And, yeah, beautiful and colors, right? But boys, look at the sky during the day, and it's totally blue. So my answer to the question is why can't we see the colors of the moon is to ask another question. Where does the atmosphere go at night? Uh, nowhere. <laughs> it doesn't go. No, it's right. It goes nowhere. So it's still doing the same thing at night that it does during the day. The sunlight is streaming into our onto our planet and we look up and we only see the blue spectrum. At night, the atmosphere doesn't go anywhere. The moonlight is coming down, and what's the what's the atmosphere doing? It's filtering out everything except the blue spectrum. Filtering That's everything out but the blue. That's why you see the colors of the moon, except some of these guys that I re- alluded to, these amateur photographers or am- amateur astronomers with with fantastic equipment and filters. Yeah, have got so close get in so close that they do bring out the true colors of the moon. And you're familiar, you're familiar with Sebastian Voltmere's work. Yes, I am. He's fantastic. He, he produced that photograph of Mars that totally changed my perspective on what happened. By the way, this, this theory that I've espoused about uh, Mars being destroyed, I, I mentioned one, the most severe one was the direct impact of Solus Lacus, but there was another tremendous impact in the Hellas Basin, which I also saw. See, in 2003, when Mars came closest to the Earth in 60,000 years, I'd been doing amateur astronomy for 25 years or so, mm-hmm. and I didn't have my own telescope. I shared it with my friend. That Alan had my friend Alan and I would go on top of a 24-story building here in New York that I got came to call the Manhattan Observatory. And we got to know the sky. So 
just at that time, good old Alan decides to get married and go off to uh, Westchester mm-hmm. with his telescope. And says, man, I'm not going to miss this. i got to get my own telly. So I bought a very expensive, I got a real bargain. It was a $1,000 telescope with a super plausible lens. And uh, I got it for about 500 plus. But I said, I'm not going to miss this. I'm not going to miss this. So when Mars came around, August 26th, 27th, 28th, those were the closest days. I was up on my roof looking at it through 128 magnification. And that's when I saw I saw the eye of Mars, which I described, on the first night. Mm. I also saw streams of plasma, arcs of plasma, traversing from the North Pole to the South Pole of Mars. Mm. Imagine the Aurora Borealis, yeah. but it's not Aurora Borealis because it's not staying in the boreal region. That's the northern you, you heard about the green glows, right? That they uh, well, that they discovered. Yeah, they re- they just they started to talk about what I'm describing back in 2003, mm-hmm. and I saw this was one of the most beautiful sights imaginable. I saw that on the south pole of Mars, there is a. It's hard to call it a mountain, because it is so narrow and so long. It looks like a unicorn's horn. It was an ice mountain. And it looked to me when I saw it like the end of a pencil and how you could take you can take a pencil and spin the pencil by, by spinning the point of it. I thought, man, it looks like God could take that in his fingers and spin Mars mm-hmm. on that spindle. It's a spindle. And uh, the other thing is the air glow. And I saw, you know, weather. I saw weather. I saw arcs of, of uh, plasma shooting from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere. That's the amazing. air glow is immense. It made it look like a giant, a pink-orange giant uh, bulb, fluorescent bulb in the sky. But the Hellas Basin, on another night, See, I, I wasn't as familiar with the terrain of Mars. Uh, I didn't know what the, the Solus Lacus was, the eye of Mars. But on the other night, I saw an ocean of white liquid, and it was the Hellas Basin. And I could see Clouds. this this white stuff, this white waves were going, and rainbow waves were going across the surface of Hellas Basin, and on the sides, it would sink, and I would see the sides of the Hell's Basin, and it looked to me like the Grand Canyon, you know, the striation of the Grand Canyon. It's deep enough where its atmospheric pressure may hold uh, special needs that we could well, deal dig- with and create, again, clouds. Well, dig this, dig this. So I'm flabbergasted by this site, mm-hmm. and then I'm really publishing, you know, a weekly, daily on, on UFO Digest. So I jump and I start writing an article. I wrote, um, I, uh, Mars has a C, S-E-A, of CO2. I'm, I like being poetic. There's a C, a CO2. Because it looked to me like... Um, you think you know, it's carbon dioxide. Dry, dry ice, throw that dry ice in water. What does it do? It bubbles up and creates a fog, right? So this fog... Okay. Was, 
on it, and I see it uh, undulating and rainbow waves, rainbow light coming off the surface of this ocean of fog. Mm -hmm. And I wrote up the article, and a couple of days later, NASA came out and said that the Hellas Basin was a a self-contained... Uh, basin of carbon dioxide. You know, that's been also seen, Robert, uh, in Valles Marineris. I processed many Viking images uh, from Mm -hmm. the Viking uh, Orbiter archives that's given out online. I processed many where it's very interesting. It's very eerie. Um, Yeah, now listen to the explanation mm -hmm. that NASA gave. NASA said that the CO2 was being sealed in the Hellas Basin by planetary winds that are so rapid that they stay on, they keep a lid on it like we keep a lid on a boiling pot. And that another, see, those explanations uh, render false a lot of their other ideas about Mars, like the atmosphere of Mars is too thin. It's so thin that things can't fly. But then they talk about planetary dust storms that cover up Mars for months at a time. Right. If it was, And then they're talking about miles, 200 mile an hour winds. That wouldn't if blow you over. Yeah, if the atmosphere is so thin, you cannot generate those kinds of velocities. So, there's a lot of hokum in their explanations that go right over the top on people who are not educated and well versed in science, but or logic. Right? Because you can't, it's not logical to say the atmosphere is, is so thin that um, that you couldn't, you couldn't. Yeah, it's definitely couldn't different than what we taught, that we were all taught many years ago. And there's even a lot more oxygen than what was purportedly uh, stated as well. well there's a lot of things that. going on, isn't there? The seasonal vegetation, mm-hmm. there's running water. And, seasonal uh, bursts of uh, methane farting out from life. <laughs> seasonal. Oh, yeah, well, that was, seasonal. Pause. I like that. P A H. Polyaromatic hydrocarbons. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they found in the um, in that meteor, the Mars meteor from Antarctica, mm-hmm. ALS eighty four thousand one. Right. Right. Then they found the the fossilized microbes in there, and they uh, said that it was indications of. Pause. P A H S. Polyaromatic hydrocarbons. <laughs> that means a, a bacteria fart. Mm-hmm. Polyaromatic, <laughs> smelling like a lot of different things, right? Yes. So yeah. So anyway, uh, we're uh, extracting. We're extracting the facts. Uh, they let out data, and then we put our minds to it. I was very happy to hear you mention the commercial for Morningstar Pass because when I started writing articles for UFO Digest, the author contacted me. He was very excited. <laughs> he was very excited. He said, hey, man, I I named the book because I knew somebody like you was coming, you know? And Who, uh, Victor Norgard contacted you? He, yes. He did. Dr. John and, Brandenburg. <laughs> yes, indeed. Exactly, exactly. But at that time, he still wasn't coming out publicly. But he was very happy to have a morning star writing about UFOs because, you know, it's someone I know. That's cool. 
Synchronicity. But, uh, it's a really grim story, you know. The the Morningstar Pass is not a really nice place in the novel. Read between the lines is uh, all right, I will say. Right. Read between the lines of things, of how we get the truth, and he said it on this show many times, yeah. uh, is through fiction, writing books. Right. So put That's two right. and two together, people. Right. Now you we have a space for us. That's the way to do it. You tell the truth, but you call it fiction, and nobody bothers you. Tell the truth, you but you tell it slant. Yeah. So uh, Dr. Bruce Maccabee also lauds that book. Uh, we had exchanges uh, years ago when the, when we were discussing the book, and he thought that's one of the greatest uh, UFO books uh, ever written. And, uh, you know, like Joe Friday, just the facts, man, except it's a novel. Mm -hmm. Yes, indeed. So now, again now, back to the moon, regarding as true colors, I mean, that many people, Jose Escamilla, remember that, and uh, mm -hmm. the amazing work of Sebastian Voltmere and others. Now, why can't we ever get true pictures of Mars, true color pictures of Mars? You know, that's the thing. The closest one that comes to close close to true color imagery, believe it or not, is the Maven. Have you seen any of their spectacular surface images? No, but I'd like to go back to 2003, August of 2003, when I saw the real Mars with my naked eyes mm -hmm. through the best telescope I could get. And the next day, NASA put out what they purported to be a photograph of Mars. And I looked at it, and I I realized how vast the cover-up was. They put out a... Oh, the shot from Hubble. It was just a, a disgusting cartoon. <laughs> it stripped away the air glow. It stripped away the atmosphere. It stripped away the eye of Mars and the shadowing. It stripped away the aurora australo borealis that's what i named it because this aurora went from north to south this green plasma right i mean i mean i tell you if i was on the surface of mars it would scare the hell out of me a wow. lightning bolt on earth is pretty frightening right. but to see an arc of plasma shooting over the planet from north to south oh the other thing i saw that's unforgettable I, as I said, I saw weather, and I saw roll clouds coming off the Tarsus Highlands. You know the Tarsus bulge. Yeah. When, when that asteroid hit Mars, it plastered it, and it sunk a whole side of it to create palisades, hundreds, hundred, if not a thousand miles long, uh, pretty close to it, and so the planetary winds. When they come across the the highlands of the Tarsus bulge, they fall off a cliff. And when they fall off a cliff, they roll and create roll clouds that are hundreds of miles long, and they're all in a row. Like if you stretch out your four fingers straight out, is it similar to what? Off. Is it similar to what Arcea Mons has been showing uh, recently from Mars Express? The, this year and last year and whatnot, that many people are thinking that it's 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 uh, Arcea Mons is active. Arcea Mons, I believe, is active, and it, those things are called fumaroles. Fumaroles are uh, 
the emanations of gases from the base of the volcano. For example, the gases are building up, but the, the, the cone and the caldera may be blocked. So it's such pressure that it starts to come out of the sides. It's a relief system. Base. It's the a relief system. system. Yes. Now, so these are called fumaroles, uh -huh. F-U-M-O-R, F-U-M-A-R-O-L-E-S, fumaroles. So that's uh -huh. what I think that is. But see, the shape is the important thing because they're coming off a very long cliff. You know the Palisades in New York? Yes. They stretch miles, right? They're vertical cliffs, mm -hmm. and they just a sheer drop. So when these planetary winds roll off the top, if they fall, and they start to spin, and they spin off like logs. Right. Log, log clouds. They're called roll clouds, but I would call them logs to, to give you the idea. And they all go off one after another, and they follow each other across the um, the Tarsus Balls, not far from Sidonia. Sidonia is in that region. Of where? Of Tarsus? The, Tarsus the Tarsus Lowlands. The Tarsus Bulges. Sidonia, Lace, and Mare Acidalium. East yes. of Acidalia. Yes, but that's not far from the Tarsus. Uh, All right, island. well. Uh, oh, by the way, do you know that there's a crater on Mars named Dorson Wells? <laughs> Yeah, there's yeah a, it, the Chinese it, want to name a lot of these craters too, people, with an air of dominance to change names to Chinese names. I didn't read that news article because, uh, well, you can tell how mad I get. That would have really sent me over the edge, but go ahead. Well. As you can tell, I'm no fan of Chinese. Done from the Earth to the Moon to Mars, and it's a, it's a marvelous adventure. It's mm -hmm. a wonderful adventure, and we have we are living in one of the most one of the most wonderful times in human history. Yes. And um, I'm still pr I'm proud to be here. I'm happy that uh, I've dedicated my life to real science and logic and uh, spirituality. So what do you, you think, know? Robert? Uh, should we be following and, uh, and putting our efforts, as well as government funding, behind Elon Musk and his thousand big effing rocket programs, uh, not just to... The Artemis, like of, uh, you know, I mean, I, like I yeah. don't like a satellite idea of, uh, right. you know, encircling the Earth with five uh, G. I'm against the five G. Starlink, right? But I think his rockets are beautiful. I like Blue Horizon also. Yeah, and but Blue Horizon ain't carrying a hundred astronauts. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's a thrill to see these rockets coming down and landing on their tails. Oh, is because it? you know, folks. Before there was Star Trek in 1968, 15 years before on black and white television, there was Rocky Jones Space Ranger. That's where I got hot on space, man. Rocky Jones Space Ranger. And you can still see some episodes on YouTube. And he had a really cool rocket. It was like a stylized V2 with longer fins. And they would take off, uh, you know, like a regular uh, Saturn or an Atlas. But when they landed, they would reverse the motion and make it land on its tail. And to see Elon Musk succeed, not only that, when he landed, like, what, four of them together? And yeah. landing on a barge out at sea, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, congratulations. That should make, uh, that should make many wake up. That should make many wake yeah. up, though, to the reality that's upon us that we can now embrace. Yeah. Reusable craft like that, much cheaper, more feasible. And remember, every million that was put into NASA, it would uh, 
quadruple in return back in the funds, but we know where a lot of that went, don't we? But uh, the yeah. thing is, uh, the same thing could apply through this vast effort if we, the people, as well as the U.S. government and NASA, <laughs> uh, embrace Elon Musk's vision for that thousand big effing rocket program to build this infrastructure that needs to be happening with a quickness, not a turtleneck sale pay speed policy agenda. You know what I mean? And yeah. you know, so, I was one of NASA's greatest critics. You know, I really ridiculed them because, you know, it's not nice to fool people. It's the politicians who steered it, though, right. Robert. And the I, NASA budget it, defenders, which is Congress, and those in control right. that steered it downward. So right. I so get that. I, term disinformation technology. And now we're suffering disinformation technology at every level. Because the people who practiced it and learned it in the military or in government, those people left that service and they went away with the knowledge. And now we're being blitzed with disinformation technology in news and fake statistics and commercials, yep. mind control commercials. And they're driving the nation crazy. Former commie nation said to us, man, we don't even know that we were being propagandized to when it was so clear to them because they've been through it. And sure enough, it turns out to be true, isn't it, people? Wake up. I think that my greatest contribution to our country was breaking the mind control apparatus that was applied in the JFK assassination. Mm -hmm. When I proved that the Zapruder film is a fake, it's a Mickey Mouse cartoon. They actually did actually paint in legs on, on the person to <laughs> make them look like they were walking and to cover up the cuts and splices. And the cuts and splices were no ordinary cuts and splices. They weren't what were called guillotine cuts where you just chop it right. and, or between the frames. Or, it was or surgical. It the frame. right. They used the golden ratio. They cut frames that were in the proportion of 1 to 1.618. 1.619, which is the golden mean, because by cutting two frames in two sequential frames in that manner, they were able to fool the human eye and disguise and camouflage the deletions. At least 10 feet of film was removed from the Zapruder film. The president was shot in a crisscross triangulation of fire at the grassy knoll when you see his head explode. Right. That's not the product of one bullet. That's the product of three bullets that arrived almost simultaneously. What has been done to that section is that, and this is very easy to explain. Let me just do it this way. Mm -hmm. Imagine there's a fruit of film captured five shots that killed the president. Okay, And imagine that the film is stripped across your fingertips. Spread your hand with your fingers apart. Right. Now imagine scotch tape going from fingertip, fingertip, fingertip to, to your five fingers. Okay? Fingertip, the thumb is the first shot at the sign. The index finger is the second shot at the sign. There were two shots at the sign that made the president stand up in the seat and fall back down. His head popped up above above the the sign. It was seen by Zapruder who described it. He said, I saw his head pop up, you know, and had red hair. So mm-hmm. they cut the, the, the interval of film between the arrival of the first shot that hit him in the back and the second shot, which hit him higher up in, in, the, in the upper back, he stood up. So they cut that, and it makes it look, and, they, and they, car, they cut the sign. They make the car come out 
a few more feet than it really did, and then it proceeds, and then at the grassy knoll, three shots hit him almost simultaneously. So they take out, so you're now with your middle finger, your index finger, and your ring finger. I hope you're still splaying them out. All right. So you cut the tape, cut the tape, cut the tape, and you join them all together, and you make one big smudge, and that's how they did it. There was a crisscross of fire. The first bullet came from the grassy knoll. First bullet came from the right side of the pergola and opened up the right side of the president's head. It opened up a hole. That one went down and hit his brain pan, and a piece of his skull flew across the street that's called the Harper Fragment. Yeah, God. Immediately afterward, a shot from the grassy knoll came straight in through the open hole and took out the back of his head which took out another piece of bone that was seen by Mr. William Newman, whom I interviewed in Dallas on November 22nd, 1998. And I explained to him how he was fooled using the Sapruda film. He was embarrassed. He described exactly what he saw and what he saw was the truth. But Vincent Bigliosi played the Zapruder film for him and said, well, you see, Mr. Newman, none, none of what you say you saw is seen in the Zapruder film and they left the man befuddled and you know confused and looking like oh quite ridiculous so hmm. I go up to him and I tell them I told them what I just told you and explained to him how what he saw was true but the film was doctored and you know what this was one of the first great healings because this the truth is freedom and the truth heals Mr. Newman heard me and ex explained it Oh, doesn't the truth He was already old and poorly, and all of a sudden, he sucked in his stomach, and he looked at everybody and says, Hey, boys, how about all going out and having a drink? <laughs> and I saw 30 years drop off of his, his frame and his mind and return him to, to nature. And I say to people who see this approved film and think that it's true, I say to you, if you think that what you're seeing in the Zapruder film is real and true, then you're no better off than a bunch of munchkins mm. in Oz. That's right. So that's really so incredible. that I think uh, sums up my uh, dissertation to the nation. <laughs> on, on Sundays, the first uh, part of the show, I turn over to my co-hosts, either Scott Teeters or Andrew Curry. And they do a summation to the nation. And I said the second hour is when I do my dissertation to the nation. So I'm very <laughs> happy to have shared that with you tonight. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to get out? Any events coming up or anything yes, you want to mention? You like mentioned about your show anybody. tomorrow. Yeah, well, I would honestly, I am in dire straits. The criminal governor of New York and the mayor have prohibited work. I am in dire straits financially. If anybody would like to contribute anything to help my work, my PayPal is my email address. So if you want to write to me or comment, you can write to robert.morningstar at gmail.com. And the same address is my PayPal account. And I would appreciate any financial help that you can give me. This is the first time I've ever asked anyone for anything but it's because I've been put in these dire straits. I know that um, feeling. And as, you know, and none wrong And the second thing I'd like to ask is those of you who have heard me talk about the wrong direction of the Democrat, the Marxist Democrat Party, and my call to 
Congressman Joseph Kennedy to run as an independent Democrat. I'd like you to write down the telephone number for his office and call him and say that you'd like him to run as an independent Democrat so that they can start to heal the wounds. And uh, it's the number is 202-225-5931. And just say, Robert Morningstar asked me to call you and say that I would like you to run as an independent for senator this year, not next year, this year. Do a Joe Lieberman. They did it to him. They robbed, they robbed him. And he had the guts to run as an independent, and he won. So yeah. that is my hope. Those are my two requests. Indeed. And tune into my show moment. tomorrow for more at 3 o'clock on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Easy to remember. Just think about kissing the Statue of Liberty on her lips. Freedomslips.com. Right. And I'm on Studio A. And on Monday, I'm on the 10 o'clock with The Right Stuff. The programs that I played for you today are part of The Right Stuff series that I'm doing. And they deal with Apollo, outer space, President Kennedy's uh, PT-109 uh, experience is what we did last week. Cool. And we'll probably be going back to Apollo 10 and talking more. Last thing, before I forget. Mm -hmm. In the conversation that I played for you, as I said, we rehearsed it. We did several takes, and then after we had done it and realized what we had said, certain things came out of that conversation. Like what? One of the things, one of the things is that Gene Cernan says to Tom Stafford, Hey, Tom, did the insulation burn off your window on your side? And Tom Stafford says, Yeah, it did. And then it says, Hey, John, what about you? Did the insulation on your window burn off? He says, yeah, it burned off on mine, too. Huh. Isn't that weird? Okay, listen what you, we're talking about. They had insulation on the windows, on the outside of the windows of the spacecraft. And while flying around the moon, that insulation burnt off. That's what odd. What do you think that means? Folks, what do you think that means? That they had it a means... full view. They had a full view. Then the insulation they had on the front side where we couldn't see, they did. No, 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 no. It means that the insulation on the outside of the windows burnt off because they were flying through an atmosphere ah. at 2,600 miles an hour and that the thin atmosphere was enough to burn the insulation off their windows. Hey, Robert, you're familiar, you're, familiar, you're familiar with Dr. Mark Carlotto's analysis of those three cylindrical uh, UFOs coming around the edge of the moon, right? Not not recently. Uh, you mean it, the recent video that came out? Yeah, the one that shows the three crabs casting shadows and going oh, over yes. the... Now, remember... Yeah, I haven't heard it, but I've seen the video. Right, the now... The thing what, I want to say is that mm -hmm. there's another strange moment where they're all confused. And he says, hey, that's weird. Why am I seeing him below us? Who's him, okay? Right. Why am I seeing him below us? He's talking about the command capsule, which he expects to be above him, but he sees somebody below him as they're rising up from the sur uh, from nearly touching the surface of the moon. They went to eight miles above the surface, then rocketed back up to 60 miles to join with the command capsule. So Gene Cernan says, what is he doing down there? 
and they go, I don't know. Uh, Keep playing uh, that video, uh, Mean Green. Then he says, and then he says, oh, it must be a reflection. Hmm. Right. Yeah. There, somebody was under them, tracking them, flying with them. Moonbirds. NASA yep. has a name for these UFOs. They call them moonbirds. Now, that video I was talking about, you know what I'm talking about, Robert? The three craft coming around over the crescent and then go into the darkness. And as it crosses over, the, it's on the facesofmars.com. Just check out. Yeah, on, I've, it's a recent video, and it's kind of like right. a blue color. Really, right. Really now, now when you, light, light. Yeah, it's beautiful. Now, when you see it's, the craft, when you see the craft go into the darkness as it goes toward the surface, you can see it. And I mentioned this to Dr. Carlotto, is that it looks like it's pushing atmosphere, like clouds in front of it as it goes down. Well, that's what we're talking about. What burned off the insulation on the spacecraft going around the moon? They were doing 2,600 miles an hour, approximately, at 60 miles. And man, I'll tell you this. When I saw the camera, the onboard camera of Apollo 16, which mm -hmm. is shooting right out the window, man, that gave me a creep. The creeps. Because yeah. uh, things are going by the windshield in the opposite direction, you know? <laughs> Closure speed, 2,600 miles an hour. It looks like cannonballs are flying by them out the window, uh -huh. going in the opposite direction. There's also a stealth craft that was captured also by Apollo 16, which is almost transparent. You see it. Um, now we know, you know, that we have, uh, we have craft that, that can appear invisible to radar. And now we have... A technology where it can become translucent, where, like Predator, remember the Predator in the right. jungle? Yeah. You could see through him, but he was like a watery figure. Right. he had this stealth technology. Well, a craft like that appears uh, scooting across the surface of the moon and then comes up and rises above the horizon of the moon. And when it rises above the horizon, for two frames, you actually see it. I was able to capture them and enhance them and presented them in San Francisco at the Secret Space Conference, uh, Secret Space Program Breakaway Civilization Conference in uh, 2014. And that's available online. It's called the, the Revelations of Apollo. If you look that up, who's minding the moon? <laughs> yeah, indeed. On that note, Robert... Very interesting yeah. night, and thank you very much for joining us, man. And again, thank God you. bless you. You're a hero. And uh, thank you. And uh, yep, please help Robert any way you can. And uh, we definitely look forward to the next time. Maybe you and Andy, yes. or you Andy and someone else. Congratulations coming back on the air and uh, mentioning, you know, saving people's lives, folks. One of the most important things I ever learned, I took courses when I was with the Department of Homeland Security to get certified in CPR, yes. coronary pulmonary resuscitation. And three times I, brought, I have brought people back to life. They were dead, dead as doornails. No breath, no heartbeat, and a couple of pushes and pokes in the right place brought them back. And for however long they come back, you've got to be grateful for every moment of life. So please, if you have an opportunity, take a course in CPR. You'll yes. never regret it.
Yeah, man. And on that note, uh, uh, thank you, Robert. We'll be in touch again. And uh, one of thank these you, days, we got to do a show about Mars, man. Or, uh, you know. I'll be happy to. All right. Uh, so we'll talk soon, my friend, and you have a good night. Good night. Good right, night, bro. everyone. All right. Thank you very much for appearing. All right. So there goes Robert Morningstar. Very interesting. Lively discussions. Think about that. What is the moon made of? A lot of metals. Heavy metal going on. It's a jock double day's shielding. The moon's hollow. You heard him. But it's got it. Well, it's chambers. Hollowed out chambers. But specific type of chambers, I'm going to state. Obviously focused with balancing and helping the earth. A lot of, if it was all natural, there's a lot of intelligent coincidences going on on the benefits and what it's really there for. And it wasn't there forever. So I wonder how the earth was when and how someone put it there, synced it with the earth as it was, and positioned it, and maybe even generating... He heard Robert state about the energies, you know, coming to and fro. The type of energies that be being used, again, when Tesla was mentioned, his beams going to another solar system, pissing them off, and that's why they're here is one aspect, maybe. But remember, Tesla was also stating he was communicating with the Martians. Huh. Todd and Jenkins' experiments follow up, I believe, directly from those communications... The NSA acquired after Todd and Jenkins did it, but gave them a copy of the, or a piece of the transmitted, uh, like facsimile as it was, printout of all the blitz and blashes and spots, where in one part looked like the side profile of a head. Coming in the phase, like from the chin, you'll see like a piece of the throat go to the chin. Then you'll see a piece of the throat going to the chin, going up a little more. And then the next one a little more to the mouth and see the lips. Up until you had the whole central figure of the of a side profile, what looks like a face. And then going out, fading out the same way. And then all these blips and blashes. What did all that mean? And what have they found out since then? All of that's connected. Even to my Twilight Zone madness of reality. This code down through time. UFO diaries. Not just there. Coded scripts to bring us forth information which everyone is official up the ass. They can't talk about. But there's mediums and ways to put this out. Especially if you ever learn any of the code keys to get this information start putting a big picture conversation together of what we're trying to be told or what they're trying to tell each other I know it's crazy but what is the moon really made of there's rust there's a lot of rust on Mars. Yeah, it also comes from water, but also comes from metals. Heavy metals. Ringing like a bell. 
Okay. Ring a sand bell or a clay bell. Then ring a metal bell. How much longer does the metal one reverberate and the type of sound and the hardness compared to a clay bell or a dirt bell or sand or mud? You can make something round and hollow. But something to withstand impacts got to be pretty strong. Chalk Double Day Shielding comes in there. Listeners this show could appreciate. A lot of pieces of the puzzles out there. And it's got to make you wonder because there's a lot of meat on the bone to all this. All you got to do is be looking up and looking into the things that stated about them. The way the policies that be, these people, these crumbs, these pricks that Robert mentions, wants you to look down, to not think, to be controlled, to lead us off a cliff when it's their advantage for a sicker plan that I believe not originates on this planet to begin with, and that's connected to the threat coming from deep space. We're at war. Look what they could do over time, over the lifespans of our lives, which isn't that long. Any intelligent life that's out there, I'm sure, could live much longer, especially if they have much more of higher intelligence than we are. If they're human-like or not, you could come upon planets and steer those planets' histories. To points in time based upon plans. And it seems to me that it's real someone's plan, diabolical plan, to destroy the biggest threat, we the people. From stopping this one world government that'll have iron teeth. Maybe even to someone to declare that he himself is God. And you must accept his mark or his or his name. I don't know. I certainly see now and within this past five years even how the scriptures of the Bible can easily come true in our lifetime. Ain't that some shit? But that's also pretty frightening. But at the same token, I'm optimistic. Till kingdom come, things not has to go those ways. See, we're on a new timeline now. Now we must make our fate to change the things that once was. There's a lot of meat on the bone, no matter which timeline you're in. But this one, we have a chance as a nation to secure this planet, to make it something better. Again, the kingdom come or whatever your faith is. But all faiths are leading to utter destruction on this route that we've been seeing. Being With us being led by these powers that be of this planet, who seem to be only of a few or just the front ones of who's really behind the scenes. Powers and principalities of the air. I don't know, man. All of this is relevant. Aliens, interdimensional beings, 
Remember, General Mark Milley, hybrid armies will be facing little green men. Hybrid armies. Little green men. There's a lot more that's been going on than we know about. And, and after this election, I think that's when we're going to have to be told a lot more because we're all as a nation going to have to deal with something and some things. But the infrastructure is already being built to, for us to have our hope, our hope and change that allow us to adapt and face these challenges. Threats from deep space or just threats from this planet? So much meat on the bone here. All I know, I'm hungry, you know? Does anyone got a grinder?